You want to take it from the top? Yeah, let's try it. Okay. He will rock you. He My heat will move your soul. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Love me today. Love me tomorrow. All day, all night, you feel my heat. Feel, 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 feel my heat. I think we should repeat that again. Feel, 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 feel. Feel my heat. Feel my heat. Yeah. Coming soon. This summer. At theaters everywhere. Opening weekend. Read it R. Welcome to episode 84 of Opening Weekend. I'm Jason O'Connell, and I am once again joined by my dear friends Fred Berman and Dan Matisse. And this week, we travel back to October 31st, 1997, and celebrate the 25th anniversary of the wide release of writer-director Paul Thomas Anderson's sophomore feature film, Boogie Nights, starring Mark Wahlberg, Burt Reynolds, Julianne Moore, John C. Riley, Heather Graham, Philip Seymour Hoffman, William H. Macy, Don Cheadle, Melora Walters, Louis Guzman, and many, 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 many others. That sprawling list of actors is the reason why we, in addition to revisiting Boogie Nights, will also be listing our top 10 favorite ensemble casts of all time. But before we dive into the world of Dirk Diggler, Jack Horner, and Roller Girl, where were we all in late October of 1997? You got it, Dan. I saw Dan. Dan did confused I, face, Dan, blew out his Dan lips, thinks, and said, ah, yes, I've got it. First, I had a, I, I had a, you would think after 83 episodes, uh, I would know how this podcast works. But the first thing that went through my head was... Oh my God, we do this. All oh, right, we do this first. Because I'm thinking about Boogie Nights. Uh, well, for a second, you before we started recording, I heard you say, where are we, in the 70s? Okay. Like, I, and I thought, oh my God, is he, <laughs> because the movie takes place in 1977, is he going to come up with a memory from 1977? When you were working on a porn film? I was actually, I was going to the 1870s at first. <laughs> I was going, I remember meeting Oscar Wilde. He wasn't born yet either, though. So none of it, none of it makes sense. Uh, no, you know what this was? This was the beginning of the last year of grad school for me. So uh, down at the FSU Oslo uh, Conservatory down in Sarasota, which we've talked about before on the podcast, which is all where all the snowbirds uh, from the north come down uh, during the fall and the, uh, uh, the spring, well, you know, the cold months, uh, the fall and the winter to see their theater. And boy, they love it. We did. Uh, <laughs> we did. A, they love it so much. They paid for my education. God bless them. No good. Uh, they did, uh, being sarcastic for a second. <laughs> they did. We did uh, Julius Caesar. I played a soldier. We did uh, a French far, a Fado farce, not Flea in Her Ear, but some other one. I played oh, a cop. Yeah. Uh, we did. Um, 
a, a Hercule Poirot thing called Black Coffee. I played a butler, and we did the royal family. <laughs> I played a butler. So these were the kind Wait of roles a that were the really? culminating experiences. <laughs> this of is my your senior roles. <laughs> these are my these were my these are my third year culminating MFA roles: two butlers, a soldier, and a cop to te- to test that I was a master of the fine arts. <laughs> <laughs> but it was. But these weren't. Student productions, right? These were no. the Oslo's uh, with the equity company, right? Yes, I That's should like, clarify. Yeah. Yes, we did. We we were my friends in the in my same class were all given lovely roles, um, but they deemed me what uh-huh. you'd call second tier or the lower to the bottom of the barrel. You would be servants <laughs> out of here, and you'll stand over here and hold a sword and maybe kill an equity actor. I don't know why you're so fond of this program, though. You always speak so fondly of it. <laughs> And they, and they fucked you raw. <laughs> well, didn't yeah. you, the year before you played big roles, didn't you? Yes, that was when we were in the, yes, that was, there's two theaters there and we were in the conservatory. That was sort of our season, the student season. Oh, okay. I had very nice roles in that. Okay. But yes, once you become a member of the equity company, it's part of the whole um, sort of master apprentice model that, mm. that these, these companies oh, sort of so model. that makes sense yeah, that you were course. playing those roles and you were still, t- you know, ostensibly a student. Yeah, I, I, so, I certainly you know. was and was still, still had a class or two and some, you know, career prep, prep things and things like that. And what did you learn from, uh, from these older professional equity actors that you were uh, working under? Oh, it really prepared me for catering. Cause I learned how to carry things <laughs> on a tray because <laughs> I, I played two butlers, as That's I mentioned. So, so it was real. I had to balance things on a tray. <laughs> Um, I learned what a, what a, um, a soldier would do in the, in the fake Roman army, uh, which is stand patiently and wait for commands again, just like with catering. The thing that happened, um, in this, in, Agatha Christie wrote one, she, she wrote a lot of stories with Hercule Poirot, the, her famous, um, uh, detective, but she only wrote one play that had Hercule Poirot and it is a play called Black Coffee. And it's, it's not very good, but, and it's very, mm. it's very rarely done for a reason. It's, it's pretty easy to figure out who the killer is. Um, but I played the butler in that. So I was a suspect. So that was kind of fun, mm. but um, this was uh, a fair, I want to say at least halfway into the run. All the butler does in the second act, it's a three act play, is introduce suspects into the room where Poirot, um, uh, you know, has to interview them and ask them where were they, when and who are they and, you know, like Poirot does and interrogates them. And, you know, every time he hits the little button, I'm supposed to go in and say, uh, Madam so-and-so, uh, Mr. Blah, 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 and sort of just usher them into the room and go away. <laughs> and I, I had to do that like five times, once per suspect. And mm-hmm. by after the fourth one, I thought I was done for the act. So I went back to the, and that's the last thing I do in the show. I'm not in the third act. So I went back to the dressing room, took off my costume, you know, relaxed, got ready. You know, I don't have the curtain call for another hour, chilled, you know, talking to my friends. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that's the end of that. And I thought, what do we have tonight? You know, this is the matinee. What do we have tonight? Royal family. Okay, cool. Great. Blah, blah, blah. Silence on stage. What the hell are they doing out there? What's going on? And then my character name is Treadwell. I hear the actor who plays Poirot, Poirot hitting the button again. Treadwell, Treadwell, where are you? Treadwell? He's yelling for me. I'm like, what the hell is he doing? What's happening? And then, of course, the stage manager over the PA. Dan Batista to the stage, Dan oh. Batista to the stage. And oh I was like, my what, God. what, what? 
I had no idea. I'm out of my costume. Out of your I'm costume. Out of, I'm in a t-shirt. <laughs> you wear your best. Bill Collins t-shirt and your Mets hat <laughs> and you run on stage. That's right. <laughs> uh, no jacket required, sir. <laughs> <laughs> bravo. Bravo. You won the contest. Uh, I feel the murderer is in the air tonight. <laughs> And it is Susudio. The murderer had an invisible touch. So I, uh, I, and of course, the student dressing room is all the way down the hall. It's the furthest one from the stage. So I have never run faster in my life. I race down this, this thing, <laughs> round the corner, what? to the stage left side. It's the furthest it could possibly be. Right. Burst open the door on stage, stick only my head in. I was going to say. I am not in costume. So I stick oh my, my head in like this and go, Mr. Poirot, he is drenched in sweat and oh he's God. like Treadwell please show in Mrs. Waddler and I was like yes sir yes sir and I go out and I show her and and you know I have run past the actor that I'm supposed to 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 show in and then of course I'm so so deeply upset I'm like I'm gonna get kicked out I'm not gonna get my master's degree they're gonna kick me out it is the it is the worst possible thing you could do I didn't I wasn't late for an entrance I missed it it was just you know, I mean, I guess technically I, I was incredibly late, but, but, you know, I wouldn't have even known to go there if had they not been like, damn it, the stage. The great, two great sort of buttons on that story. So I went around and obviously apologized to all the other actors, which was even made me feel more shameful. The guy who played Poirot was lovely. Um, and accepted my apology. The guy who played Poirot's sidekick, whose name I can't remember, couldn't stand the actor playing Poirot. And so I went out, when I went to apologize to him, he was like, oh, I loved it. Are you kidding me? I, you can do that every night. I do that every night, man. I love seeing that motherfucker sweat. Do it. It's the greatest thing that's happened all season. And I was like, well, I'm sorry that I love it. He's like, no need to apologize to me. And then he loved seeing the other guy tortured out there. That's um, so good. And then the the other thing is there was an old old guy in the company um, uh, uh, named Bob, and he he was he was a, an old man, old 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 uh, actor from the from the old Oslo company from like the seventies and eighties and stuff, and they mm. had brought him back to play Julius Caesar and to play some other nice roles in the season. And um, he was very crotchety, very curmudgeonly, didn't, I'm sure didn't even know our names or, or anything. He was just sort of, you know, um, very old school. And he shared a dressing room with the guy playing Poirot. Now, this actor, Bob, was always forgetting entrances, lines, going up, you know, jumping your line. Like he was he was on Mars most of the season. He didn't know, you hmm. know where he was or what he was doing. And and, he, and as I after I apologized to to Doug and he's never spoken to me off stage uh, the entire seat like he's never said two words to me not a hello nothing after I apologized to the actor playing Poirot he, they, they shared a dressing room he looked up from his little station because he was getting ready to to go on for Act Three and he goes happens to everybody <laughs> so that was so <laughs> wonderful because he was it was the first time he acknowledged like that it's not that big of a deal happens to me six times a show basically <laughs> <laughs> happens to everybody's first words he spoke to me all season so it was funny that's awesome mm -hmm. fredo what do you remember so this is october 97 yeah. we so we had just finished hamlet Right around this time, he, yes, and because yeah. I was oh. at this point, I was in uh, Binghamton. Right, so we just finished that, but we and we've talked about that on the podcast before. I, we did this production of Hamlet that I was like, I want to play Hamlet before I'm 25 or by the time I'm 25, and we did it. So this was like the letdown from all of that. I remember right. this was sort of a. Uh, 
I was feeling, I, I remember I was doing a production of the, the misanthrope, uh, downtown. And I always remember Steve Lavner, our friend Steve was like, don't do it. Don't do it. Because Hamlet ended and it was like this, you know, this thing that I was working towards for years that I wanted to do. And we did it and it was, you know, as, as successful as it could be. And then it was just like, what do I do now? And I just was auditioning for everything. And I, so I was doing a lot of like bad shows now and just saying yes to things. And, and this was like, yeah, it was this production of The Misanthrope at Expanded Arts, which was on Ludlow Street. I don't know if you guys mm-hmm. ever worked there, remember? I mean, it was literally, it was a storefront. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, it was so, so small, and it was a bad production. I was terrible in it. It was just, <laughs> I was doing, Surely I was still not. doing, no, I was really, no, I was bad. Like, I was embarrassed. I knew, oh. I made a choice, and I'm like, as soon as I made it, I'm like, this is really bad, but I gotta, <laughs> I'm just gonna stick with it. Uh, it wasn't good. I was still doing Grandma Sylvia's funeral. Um, doing that, I was, I was, I just remember feeling very like uh, lonely and let down at this time Mm. and, and, uh, and not really knowing what I was doing. And like, I was jumping between different girls here and there that like, you know, maybe we can start dating, but I wasn't committing to anything. And I was probably, you know, I'm sure there, there are several women from that time where like Fred's burning, that guy's an asshole. Cause I was just sort of like my, my heart wasn't into anything at the time. Yeah. It was the really weird. Broadway theater scene will do that to you. It will <laughs> just make you feel lonely, depressed and, and non-committal. Yeah, it, it really did. But one thing that I, I think happened around this time, which just popped into my head, which was pretty funny. I'd go to Crunch on Lafayette Street. Oh, my God. And and I remember going in there. And because I remember one of the guys that I was in the misanthrope with, he was a trainer there. So I would see him. We would talk and I'd work out. But I remember being up in the locker room and this guy started chatting me up, I guess. We started to talk and... and um, He'd asked, and I don't know why I did this. He said, um, we were just talking about whatever, working out, I guess. I don't know. And he was like, hey, have you ever, have you ever wrestled? You look like a wrestler. Oh, and, oh for God's sake. Did you say that? Or no, no, no. This is the other guy saying it to oh, me. Oh, boy. Mm-hmm. And I don't mm-hmm. know why. Now, I was, no. now this crunch, there was a big boxing ring there. And I was doing some boxing. I was, like, taking some boxing lessons and, really? like, hitting the bag. Yeah. Um... And so I was doing a little of that, but I don't know why he was like, and I guess maybe I always, maybe because I liked wrestling growing up or like I knew, uh, but yeah, he said yeah, he never yeah. wrestled. And I just figured just to get the conversation, just to move on. I was like, yeah, I did a little wrestling in high school. I never wrestled in high school. You're an idiot. Yeah, but I don't know why. Yeah, but you don't, because you, because you, what do you care? You could tell him anything. You'd be like, yeah, I wrestle professionally. Yes, I wrestle at the diner next door. I don't, <laughs> why, you t- say anything. It's just a guy. You don't, I mean, Dan, no, because Dan's like, oh, why would you lie? Why not lie? He's a stranger. <laughs> because it's a stranger. Because it's stranger danger. That's why you don't lie what are you gonna do what's he gonna do next take out a bottle of oil out of his bed <laughs> oh yeah i wrestle i use this what do you use it's a it's a guy who wants to wrestle with him well, i know but he's well, not gonna wrestle him there. oh we're for god's sake uh, and see? meanwhile this listen, is why how, 
How many episodes of this podcast have we done? I mean, that was my whole, all I did was lie growing up. Jesus True. Christ, that's what we yeah, discovered. But no, you know, you know what I think it goes it. back to? In elementary school, this, this is literally what it goes back to. This is how fucked up my brain was at the time. In elementary school, in sixth grade, we did wrestling and I was pretty good. You know, I was small and people assumed that I would suck. And I remember I pinned Tom Toomey, who was bigger than me, and he got upset. And mm. Tom, if you're listening, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> it just happened. I did the Cobra clutch and you fell for it, whatever. But so from there, and I think I seem to remember someone being like, oh yeah, when you go to middle school, you should try it for the wrestling team. That was it. So in my brain, I was like, yeah, Yeah. I I wrestled. So anyway, I just mentioned that. Meanwhile, cut to... Every other day, every time I see this guy, Uh-oh. he was like, hey, so I've actually been wanting to wrestle. Do you, do you want, because there was, there was the boxing ring upstairs. He's like, do you want to wrestle? We should, let, let's wrestle. And I was like, no, 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 I don't want to. No, 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 I haven't done it in a long time. And, you know, I, like I had to go. At that point, I'd already said that I did. So I couldn't be like, dude, I've never wrestled. So I was like, no, nah, I don't think so. And every time, and he was a nice guy. He wasn't a pain in the ass, but he just kept mentioning it. Finally, he must have like worn me down or I was like, yeah, maybe ne- oh, next no, time I'll see you. Oh, no, Fred. So you're like, oh, you're like oh how bad God. can it be? I'll just do a little <laughs> no. wrestling. So Fred. we did. So there's no. one day I was like, all right. I was like, yeah, sure. We'll go. And so I remember we, you? we, we went up to this the boxing ring. This is a pathology. <laughs> this is pathological at this point. <laughs> it really is. You should have so, just told, you should have just said, no, I can't. My, I popped my boob. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm not able to. <laughs> right. I should have. Go back to episode I should have done so many things, <laughs> but I said, okay, let's, let's, I was like, all right, let's just get this over with. Then it'll fucking stop bothering me. That's <laughs> like plans. Wow. How many times has that been said? Um, <laughs> so we, we went up to the ring and then he was like, so he, but he wanted to wrestle, you know, like, uh, you know, like, uh, in the Grecian in style, the Grecian style. <laughs> the greasy no, style. You, you know, like in the, the greasy Grecian style, no, like in the professional style, it wasn't like WWF, but it was like, you know, one yes. guy's on the ground, you know, it's like Greco-Roman vision quest. Roman wrestling. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Wrestling. Actual wrestling. Actually wrestling. Not the bullshit. So he's looking, but he, I remember he's looking <laughs> to me. Bullshit. Like I'm the expert. Like I know what to do, and I don't you did know it in what high to do. School. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, uh, okay, why don't you? Like I'll, I'll be on top. You know, I'll be the top. You, you bite the pillow. So. Oh my god. <laughs> and I can tell as oh we're doing it, I can god. see in his eyes that he's like, wait, I don't think this guy knows what he's he's doing. I don't know what he's talking about. So anyway, I sort of got on it. And then I was like, you know what? Why don't you, here, I'll, I'll go down to my knees. You get on top. <laughs> I know. Just- Fred, Frederick Berman. This is the beginning of a movie by Jack Horner. This is, yeah. the, this is the plot of one of his movies. So, yeah, so we did a little wrestling and that was it. And it mostly just, once we finally figured out how to get started, it mostly just consisted of, it was just like. (laughs) (laughs) There was a lot of grappling. There was a lot of grabbing. Oh, Jesus. Bill Macy came by and was like, Jesus Christ, why do you have your ass in her cock? And it it was. Best line in the movie. Yeah, it was uh, Ricky Jay was filming it. (laughs) 
Uh, and no. uh, yeah, so I don't know. But then after that, but I will say after that, the guy left me alone. You think? <laughs> Never had to wrestle him again. Yeah, yeah that was it. It's like you can't wrestle. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea because you were like, I think he just wants to touch me, and I'll give him the thrill. <laughs> but then he's like, No, I wanted to learn wrestling, and you're a scam artist. Yeah, uh, I totally yeah, was. You're a liar. I had done so. I had done your Hamlet, and then I went to. I was in Binghamton, and I saw this movie in. Binghamton. I saw uh, Boogie Nights the the weekend it went, I guess, into wide release because it wouldn't have been, you know, um, that's the only time it would have opened in Binghamton, New York. And uh, and <laughs> it was like, we'll talk about it because it was like spiritual, life changing. I, did, I, I had no idea what to expect of this movie and I fucking was blown away. Um, but uh, what I was doing at the time, I was doing uh, <laughs> a production of The Importance of Being Earnest at the Cider Mill Playhouse in Binghamton, New York, where they actually, there was a s- operating cider mill oh. and you, it was actually Endicott, New York was the town that the Cider Mill Playhouse was in. And it was like, uh, there was a fucking, it, you know, they made fresh cider and, and apple cider donuts and you could smell it all the time while you were, do- and the theaters attached to it. And it was just fucking delightful. Um, did you get it for free? They didn't make you pay for any of that, did they? I paid for it. No, paid, come on. Yeah. Well, you get a discount, I'm sure. But, um, <laughs> but so I'm playing Algernon. You have to wrestle for it. I'm play- <laughs> yeah, you know, a little. So I'm playing Algernon and the importance of being earnest. And it was directed by our, uh, you know, her Fred, because uh, I met them at Texas Shakespeare Festival the year before. It was um, there's Tom Kremer and his wife Carol. I can't remember. If oh yeah, Carol's I remember Tom's name is. I can't remember if she if her last name was Kremer. If she if she went by her her maiden name, I actually can't remember right now. But anyway, yeah, met them at Texas Shakespeare in '96. This was '97. Carol cast me as Algernon and another actor from um, from TSF, Carl Herlinger as Jack. And we went to uh, Binghamton or Endicott and did did Ernest. And it was great. We had a lot of fun. I remember this is when I was working at the Jekyll and Hyde Club. I had just started working there like a couple months before, a month before. And because the schedule in Binghamton, it was like we only did like basically, I think, Thursday night through Sunday afternoon performances. So we had the early part of the week free. And I was like, oh, I could work if I wanted to. I could get back to the city and work. But I didn't have a car. And uh, but Tom and Carol very graciously said to me and the guy playing Jack, they were like they had a car that they weren't using a lot. You know, their second car said, you know what, if you want to take this back to the city each week, you can. It was really kind. So she said she let us drive back and forth and we would take it on Sunday night and bring it back during the day on Thursday for the evening show. And I could work a few days. He could do his office job. I could go to the restaurant and work. It was all great. So, but on the drive back, so we're driving back and we take the GW bridge and, uh, and it was like this unseasonably warm October day. And, and it was an old car. I don't remember the model of the car, but there was like this kind of glass sunroof thing that, you know, you kind of could pop up and get some airflow going, <laughs> going in. And, uh, I'm driving and Carl's like in the past, he's like, God, it's hot. It's hot today. Right. I was like, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and we had the windows down, but on the bridge, it was just, too, he's like, I'm, I'm gonna, maybe I'll just pop the, the, the roof a little bit, the oh, sunroof no. a little bit. Oh, I was like, no. okay, yeah, go, go ahead. And he's like, I don't know how to, I'm not sure how to get it. And he's messing with it. Oh, right. Shit. He's messing with it. And he's like, <laughs> like pushing and, and we're driving on the bridge and I hear this crack <gasps> and then no. 
the wind t- peels the roof, at, like picks it up no. off the top of the car, rips it off. And I see it in the rear view mirror, like a, like a fucking knife c- cuts across like three lanes on the bridge and then shatters on the bridge. It's a miracle. It didn't kill anybody. As it was flying, did you see General Zod and Ursa? Inside? <laughs> That's what it was like. This fucking pane of glass flies off the fucking car and shatters on the bridge. And could, I mean, it could have decapitated somebody. Oh it could have God. hit somebody's windshield. So the first thing is like, oh my God, we didn't kill anybody. Second thing is, oh my God, we've destroyed their car. Yeah. Third thing is, it starts snowing. No. It went no. from unseasonably mild no. to like a winter storm. This is October. It starts snowing. We're on the bridge. We're like, oh my God. And it's snowing on us. And we're like, what the fuck just happened? We had to pull off somewhere, get some cardboard and duct tape and like just make a makeshift thing on top of their fucking car and then drive five hours or whatever it is to fucking Binghamton oh and go God. to their house before the show and be like, sorry, this is what we did to your car. Oh, we will pay wow. for it, of course. Were We're you so just like sorry. sitting there in front of their house in the car crying, just going, fucking idiot. <laughs> 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 I'm a fucking idiot. Yes, I really felt like a fucking uh, idiot that day. And for all my days, <laughs> and but not all my nights, because some of those are boogies. <laughs> Uh, Boogie nights. It's 1977, and the idealistic pornographic filmmaker Jack Horner, played by Burt Reynolds in what is likely a career best performance, has always dreamed of elevating his work into the realm of art. When he discovers the young and, shall we say, physically gifted Eddie Adams, played by Mark Wahlberg, working as a busboy in the San Fernando Valley nightclub he frequents, Jack invites Eddie to join his repertory company of triple X adult film stars, which includes Amber Waves, played by Julianne Moore, Reed Rothschild, played by John C. Riley, and the skate-sporting roller girl, played by Heather Graham. Under the stage name of Dirk Diggler, Eddie soon gives the adult entertainment world a star the likes of which it has never seen, but Dirk's rise to fame has its costs, and as the 70s give way to the 80s, a toxic combination of drugs and egotism threatens to destroy not only Dirk's life and career, but the very fabric of the dysfunctional chosen family of misfits that Jack presides over. Writer-director Paul Thomas Anderson's staggeringly assured sophomore effort features a bevy of stellar performances from the likes of Philip Seymour Hoffman, William H. Macy, Don Cheadle, Robert Ridgely, Philip Baker Hall, and Alfred Molina, among others, and earned Oscar nominations for Anderson's screenplay and Reynolds and Moore's portrayals of Jack and Amber. Boogie Nights made $4.7 million in its first weekend of wide release, going on to make $26.4 million domestically and $43.1 million worldwide. Fred and Dan, what'd you guys think of Boogie Nights? It's the best. It's so good. I love this goddamn movie. It's one it's of my favorite movies best. ever. And it ticked all the boxes for me. Porn, nudity, <laughs> porn. Well, kidding. yes, because, and I'll tell you why, because I, I don't remember, I can't remember when I saw this movie, if I saw it in the theaters. I think I did see it in the theaters. Mm. I, I feel like I did. But I, I was racking my brain. I can't remember. But but similar to what you said earlier, 
Jason, like I had that same feeling when I saw it. It just, it, it blew me away. I was mesmerized. I couldn't believe how good it was, but it was because it was like everything that I wanted and loved already. I mean, I think we've talked about this on previous episodes before maybe, but like, it's such an homage to Scorsese. Yeah. But like in the best way, you know, it's it never, it never feels like and a ripoff or like, and, oh, he's trying to do Scorsese. He, yeah. he, he, and, and I don't think it's, I don't think it's that he, he's, he's avoiding it. I think he's saying, no, I'm, I want to make this type of movie, like a Goodfellas, you know, yeah. where yeah. intoxicates you. I think that was the word you use. Yeah. It's intoxicating. Yeah. So he uses and all he has those. the goods. He can. He's like a yeah, kid and, and he, he can, can do, do it. it. <laughs> but he does it in a sort of an unabashed way. I feel like where it's like, yeah, I love Scorsese. I love what he does in Goodfellas. I want to do that too in my own little way. Uh, and it works. And you never, ever feel like, ah, this is a ripoff, you know, with, and it, I mean, the, the most obvious aspects are those incredible tracking shots, yeah, yeah. the music, which you're right, Jason. I mean, I go back to my soundtrack list, fuck my mm. credentials. I mean, this is the, one of the greatest soundtracks ever. It should absolutely be on my list. Uh, so it, the, 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 the needle drops are, are up there with Goodfellas as being, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. better than anything else. Uh, Agreed. But also, but even like the final shot of the movie of Boogie Nights is the final shot of Raging Bull. (laughs) Raging Bull. Exactly (laughs) Raging Bull. I mean, everything. Which is on the waterfront, right? Which comes from that. Yes. Yeah. Uh But I mean, it's it's a guy, you know, uh, sort of past his prime, speaking in a mirror, Mm -hmm. working on his script. They both mess up. They both have to go back and say lines again. And then the final shot is them up, their head out of frame, doing what they do best. Jake LaMotta doing his punches, doing his mantra. I'm the best. I'm the best. I'm the best. Dirk Diggler taking his dick out. I am a star. I'm a star, I'm a star, I'm a star. I am a big, bright, shining star. From from that point, I was like, oh, I, I, I know what he's doing. He's doing like a Scorsese thing, but it works and I love it and it's great. And then you add on to that uh, you know, the incredible array of actors and I'm like, okay, all these performances are unbelievable. A lot of them at the time, it was the first time I'd remembered seeing them. Like there were people that looked familiar to me, Yeah, you know, but I certainly didn't mm-hmm. realize that Philip Seymour Hoffman was the same guy that I loved from Scent of a Woman at that point, right. you know, and like Don Cheadle, I was like, yeah, that guy looks familiar. Julianne Moore looked familiar. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was that type of thing. Mark Wahlberg was a complete revelation to me in this because he was sort of like a joke to me before yes. this. Yeah. Right. Uh, and then to your point, Dan, there was the porn aspect of it because mm-hmm. I have been in this business 52 years and I will, I've never seen anything like this and I, I can't speak. I've always been, and this is going to sound weird going back to my wrestling experience, no, but no, I've go. always been sort of fascinated with the porn industry and not just, I'm not just talking about like, Oh, I like watching porn. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, and I think maybe because like what's a life making a life in that is mad. It's It's always seemed, I I don't, it's, it's so fascinating and sad and intriguing and just mysterious to me. And I remember, I mean, maybe because like, 
you know, growing up, we had, you know, we had the, 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 the illegal cable box and we, we always had the Playboy <laughs> channel for free. So I grew up, you know, surreptitiously seeing a lot of those like 70s, early 80s porns, because like, I'm sure that we all did. Like if mm-hmm. if we saw, you know, porn growing up, it was of this era, you know, even if it was like yeah. glimpses of it. And it was um, illicit. It was illicit. Yeah, too. exactly. So. But then I remember there was a special on HBO and maybe it was after this before. I don't remember, but it was about the porn industry. And it was, I remember being, it was fascinating to watch. Mm-hmm. And there were, there was a, there was a guy on there, a real porn actor who I was like, oh my God, that's Buck Swope. You know, he was the same. <laughs> he was so, he was Don Cheadle's character. It was this yeah. guy who, you know, really felt like what he was doing was, was noble and he was mm. a real actor and eventually he would move on. And it was, it, it was heartbreaking to watch cause you know what the reality is. Yeah. But so that again, so all those things, you know, the Scorsese, this amazing, like uh, array, that whole idea of the, the huge ensemble of actors that Robert Altman feel, you know, and then that sort of inside look at the porn industry, I was drawn to the movie. Whether I saw it in the theater, I saw it and I, I rented it. I don't remember, but I was very much drawn to it. I was also remember I was being drawn to it because I knew that Michael Penn did the score and his music doesn't feature too prominently in it. But when it does, it's that beautiful... It, it, almost, it almost sounds like an old-timey, like, carnival, carnival. feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's a sad circus. It's a sad circus, and that's yeah. what it is. It's a carnival family. It's a circus family. Yeah. And I it. love how the movie starts, and it's just playing that in the background. And, <laughs> and, and he's got a bit of that. On his first album, there's a song called uh, Disney Wants a Snow Cone. I can't remember. It's a short instrumental. And... <laughs> It's basically, it's like the precursor to what he ends up doing in Boogie Nights musically. He's so, he's so open and beautiful and Mm -hmm. innocent. And he just, I mean, that scene with Joanna Gleason. And I remember when I worked with Joanna, I, I, we talked about the scene. I was like, Mm -hmm. oh my God, you're, you're terrible in that scene. And she's like, oh, I know. I know. Like, did they improvise a lot of that? Did she happen happen to mention if a lot of that was improv? Because it feels very raw and improvisational. It's so raw. Raw is like that raw just. Dude, that just sums up this whole movie. Yeah. There's so many yeah. aspects of this movie that are just raw. It's so good. Um, I don't know. You know, I didn't bring that up with her. Mm. I, well, maybe we did. I can't remember. I do feel like she remembers saying that she, she, she said that he kept saying to be like, no, go, go further, be, be meaner. So I, yeah. you know, maybe there was some improv oh, with wow. that, but yeah. I read something where then she was like, afterwards, she was like, do you get along with your mother? And he wouldn't answer. Like, like oh, you could tell it's based on something. And he's so like wow. his reaction where he's just like a little kid, you know, he's just a little kid where yeah, he just wants still. to, yeah. He's a baby. Yeah. And he's so And he can't understand why he's being treated this way. Yeah. It's very heartbreaking. And you see the whole, you see the whole sort of 
uh, psychodrama of of his uh, of of his uh, what winds up being his lifestyle, you know, and and those shots of the father who is completely ineffectual yes. and and oh, because yeah. she's so domineering and everything, you don't get the backstory there, but you get enough to go, yeah, that's what creates someone who who you know has the psyche of a of of young uh, um, uh, what's his what's his name before he becomes Dirk Diggler. Um, Eddie, yeah. Eddie, Eddie, Eddie Adams. Adams. Yeah. You, you go, okay. That's, that's what creates somebody like yeah. that. And, and that's what makes this alternate family. So right. appealing, yes. you know, Burt that's Reynolds right. is the dad, like the strong, mm-hmm. but loving, but firm, but gentle, but encouraging, yeah. inspiring dad. And Ultimately then Julianne Moore is yeah. like, yes. Oh my God. It's, be- it's a beautiful performance and a beautiful relationship. I, you know, it's, it's very interesting because that obviously is the central relationship and, I read a lot saying that, you know, the film was so unwieldy at certain points so long. I mean, there's a, there's a longer cut of this out there, much longer. And, and, you know, there was some people at new line were trying to make it focus more in on just Burt Reynolds and Mark Wahlberg. And it doesn't need to, it's great. The, the, the tapestry of, of characters and performances is great. This panorama is perfect. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I can understand it was probably a half hour too long at some point and then it got managed down, but I think it would have been a mistake to just focus on them, but that is the primary relationship. And then obviously, you know, Julianne Moore as his mother, but also like, who gets him hooked on cocaine? I mean, yeah. starts his drug problem and yep. also has sex with him on camera. That's the whole thing. It's a family. And yet the psychosexual, all these, the conflations between sexual love, romantic love, familial love, yes. it all gets put in a blender. Heather Graham is his <laughs> sister and his sometimes lover. Julianne Moore is his lover and his mother. I mean, it's, it's all so confused. And Joanna Gleason's reactions to him when you really watch it and you're like what are you so obsessed with it's she's like she's a jealous, jealous. lover she's a yeah. jealous lover she's yeah. like you're gonna go fuck that whore you're gonna go fuck that whore. Yeah. it's like she's just a girl she's just a girl your son's dating right. what is your deal yeah. it's a very interesting <laughs> layered uh you know a, a world view of 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 love and how fucked up and twisted <laughs> just love can be or, or yeah. like the roles we play in each other's lives but it's like um, but, it, but but it's funny but then because you're there's so watching it this time there's so many scenes that i'm just going Going, oh god, this is so creepy. You know, with Jack yes. Warner like having like Eddie and Roller Girl like fuck in front of him, and he's just watching. Yeah. And it's so, and he's so. It seems fatherly. sinister. It seems sinister, and then it turns to yeah, yeah avuncular. But there is that's the thing. What what's so like sort of beautiful about everything is the the these relationships as fucked up as they are, and as as psychologically skewed as they are, they there's something beautiful about all of them. And there is that forgiveness. And again, going back to the Goodfellas thing, yeah. what were you saying before, Dan, the scene where, where, where Dirk goes back to him. I mean, that's the Pauly that, scene. That's Pauly. It's, it's yeah. the scene between, uh, uh, Henry and Hill and Pauly. Yeah. But yeah. Pauly says, now I got to turn my back on you. Right. But Jack Corner doesn't. doesn't. He embraces right. him. I just want to know if you could help me, Jack. I, um, I need help. Sorry, you know. I need help, Jack. Sorry, Bert. I 
Another thing that popped out of me watching this, you know, you mentioned the father, the 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 mother, the sister, the brother with Reed, with Reed Rothschild. Yeah. I'm watching this going, man, Mark Wahlberg and John C. Riley, these two characters, it's one of the most beautiful friendships <laughs> I've ever seen on screen. They're they're like they're little kids. They're little boys. Yeah. I mean, even when they start off, they're talking about Star Wars, you know, um, how much, you know, how much do you bench? You yeah. know, they're like sort of like I can dive better than you. But there's nothing but what's so funny is there's no like petty jealousies between those two. Mm-hmm. You know, like you know, Reed Rothschild, he's like, he's like, that was good, but let me show you what you did wrong. And Mark Wahlberg's yeah. like, okay, <laughs> like, let me see. Like, they're so, like, willing to just to be there for each other all through mm-hmm. the end. It's really, like, a beautiful relationship. And yeah. you, you're happy. I was watching this going, oh, yay, yay, good family. You know, they, they mm-hmm. got each other's backs. Yeah. yeah. Well, Mark Wahlberg is so gracious and kind and sweet. And lo- like, that's, yeah. that's the, he's so lovely. He's so happy to be in a place where people value him and are nice to him. Like he says, it's, it's said in such kind of blunt, basic terms with his mother. He's like, you're mean to me, Don't you know, be just be to nice me, yeah. to me. Don't be mean to me. Nobody's mean to him in this right. room. Nobody's Nobody nice is. to him. Maybe they're playing, you know, there's a little bit of my, you know, yeah. Reed is like jealous cause he's the new kid, but it's a very different portrait. This film is full of parallels, parallel scenes, you know, like something yes. happens early in the film and then a, a, a skewed version happens later on, or there's twists. It's, it's really brilliant. But, uh, you know, Reed and Mark Wahlberg meet and, and yes, like you say, like there's no, what could become tense and, you know, puffed up with bravado and like, uh, you know, like, oh, this is the new guy coming in and I got to show him what's what. It's also sweet and innocent. And Mark Wahlberg doesn't feel like a threat, even though he's coming in with this 13 inch penis to like rule the, the industry and become the star. Of the, but he's so kind and, and, and lovely to be around. Like there's if Reed perceives him as a threat, it kind of gets diffused quite quickly. And then, of course, later on, when things start deteriorating and then there's a, a new kid on the block and Mark Wahlberg is introduced to him, he is not, you know, there is that no more of that grace left, you know, because he's changed so much. But, um, yeah, they're just so and it tells you everything you need to know. That little Han Solo scene where they talk about benching and Han Solo. It seems like <laughs> such a non sequitur, but it kind of tells you everything you need to know about those two guys, their personalities, their relationship yeah. to each other and how that's going to play out throughout. Like Reed's always going to have a little bit of a second banana complex around Dirk, but he he just he ha- he deals with it in a very healthy way you know what i mean he, you, from the outside eye you look like oh god look at him he's being like oh i can do it let me show you how to do this let me show you how to do that but you also see that he's just trying to strike a balance like he knows he, it becomes clear pretty quickly that he's not dirk diggler that he john c Riley's character is not that guy but he figures out how to compliment that guy how to to be the yin to his yang be the sidekick and be happy in that and that's really lovely finding that balance like the way you know there's not jealous there doesn't seem to be any jealousy there and it's really great it's really great hey did you ever see that movie star wars about four times people tell me i look like han solo really what do you bench you tell first I asked you first. Same time. It's cool. Are you ready? Ready. One, One two, two, three. 
He didn't say anything. Oh, neither did you. I've seen this movie many times, but this time when I went in, and you're absolutely right, structurally, stylistically, it is it is nodding to, um, it's giving a nod to to Scorsese for sure, and particularly to Goodfellas. That that last mm-hmm. third of the movie really does feel like the last third of Goodfellas, where we've jumped forward into this drug-addled mm-hmm. uh, haze. Um, that is, you know, has great volatility to it. But but um, the thing I was looking for this time is what's this movie really about? Like, what's it really actually about? What's the big takeaway? And for me, it's identity. You know, it's mm-hmm. about identity. It's about fi- figuring out, trying to figure out who you are. And if you can't do that, then you have to come up with a who you are. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Think about this. Mark Wahlberg is playing Eddie Adams, who's playing Dirk Diggler, who's playing Brock Landers. <laughs> right? yeah. It's, yeah. It, yeah. It's, it's a kaleidoscope. It's a prism of identity. It's like yeah. you can't this isn't this isn't quite. And he's also wanting to be a rock star on top of it. And he's also <laughs> wanting to do these. Uh, and he's like, and I have other projects. I want to be also Bruce Lee on top of it. And, and right. you know, and I have other things that I'm interested. You know, Amber Waves is is Maggie the mom, but she's Amber Waves, but she also wants to be a director, but yeah. she also wants to be a mom to the other the younger porn stars. So there's all these sort of levels well, of Don family Cheadle's and levels character. of identity. Yeah, the, perfect example. The whole you know? movie, that's his thing, is he's trying to like change, figure out his identity, what's yes. his look, and it never, you know, and people are just like, just be who you are, just be who you are. And he's like, no, yes, no, no, this is the tr- new thing. That's it. He goes from the cowboy to the Rick James thing to, you know, to, to, to trying it, to in that, in one of my favorite very, scenes in the movie, trying to get that money at the bank, the bank which he can't do. That's the other thing that struck me about this is unlike Goodfellas, where the world is contained and closed from the real world world. And it's kind of like F the real world. We don't need them. And they're all schnooks. This, they have to exist in the real world. Yeah. yeah have to straddle both they have to have feet straddling both sides of the line they can't not be in the world and that's that's the thing that they keep escaping from but still having to deal with you know um yeah. robert ridgely incredible uh, oh my god God, he's incredible, incredible. performance. The My movie's God, dedicated to him because he died in 1997. I saw he, that at the end credits. I never realized. Yeah, never got that. to see it. But oh my he's the Colonel, God. right? He's the Colonel. He's the yeah. Colonel. Oh, God. Incredible wow, performance. Yeah. When he wow. looks, I don't even know how he does it. The reaction <laughs> shot, it's the greatest reaction the shot I've ever time. seen. When he yes. looks down at the penis <laughs> yes. and you see him, nothing on his face moves except the lines of his forehead. <laughs> his forehead. I, I rewound it seven times because it's my one of my favorite moments in the movie. He just looks down. I'm like, I don't even understand how he does what he does there. He's perfect. He's hysterical. He's yeah. haunting. He's oh, so sad, disturbing. Sad, so sad. tragic. Jack says you got a great big cock. May I see it? Great I see it? line. Oh, he looks man. down and then, and then he, and then he says, thank you, Eddie. Thank and you, he, Eddie. and he, and <laughs> his face right freezes. Back. Yeah. Yes. But yeah. then it holds in this reaction shot as if he's yeah. frozen by the side of the peanut. It, was, yeah. it reminded me of something you would do, Dan. It was like, he just locks it. Like people walk back and forth in front of him and he can't like shake the <laughs> smile or like the, the mask of his face can't crack. He can't process. It's because but, it's the <laughs> Ted Knight school of acting. It's right yes. out of Judge Smale's <laughs> it really uh, playbook. It's from Ted Knight. That's why it's hysterical. My Robert Ridgely is a, was a friend of of Paul Thomas Anderson's father. Like mm. we used to hang out at their ah. house. That's why because cool. Paul Thomas Anderson's father is Ernie Anderson, who was an announcer for ABC. Like like famous. Like he's like you hear his oh, wow. voice and you'd be like, oh yeah, he's the guy who you know 
narrated documentaries and said like, oh, Laverne and Shirley on ABC. And what, I mean, like, so, and he oh, grew up in that. Right yeah, yeah, that, that might've been him. That's what, <laughs> but he was like ubiquitous ABC television announcer and was like in the Hollywood mix. And, you know, that's Paul Thomas Anderson grew up around all these people like Robert Ridgely and stuff. So it's really sweet cool. that like a childhood family friend is then playing this really, you know, dis- <laughs> disturbing Ooh, character, but so good. D- giving such a brilliant performance in this film. And um, then when you see him, I mean, what to your point, Dan, about them having to deal in the real world, oh, I yeah, mean, later on. his fate when he's, you know, behind Ooh. that glass panel and just, you know, are you yeah. my friend? Are you, I got it. It's so disturbing. It's heartbreaking and so disturbing because you know why he's there. Yeah. And and Jack Horner's trying to be there for him, and you he can can't. see that that's almost a bridge, a bridge too, too far, far for him. Well, there yeah. are it's a bridge too there far. It's pedophilia. Yeah. There are rules in that world that you, there are lines you don't cross. Just yeah. like in Goodfellas, just like in the world of the mob, there is yeah. no you don't kill you don't kill a made man. That's a bridge too far. Now we have to abandon you. No, you don't. You don't. You know, um, rat on your friends. Now we have to turn our backs on you. There are actual rules. There's a, a code. This jacket's just, they're so small, Jack, and they're so cute, and they're so adorable. I just can't help it when they're so cute. and adorable, right? No, no, Jack, listen, 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 I don't touch them, Jack. I, I, I don't touch them in any way, honestly. Jack, please. All right. There's one thing I want you to do, though. Tell me, Jack, come on. Tell me that you're my friend. Just tell me, am I your friend? Am I? Just the consequences that everyone's got to deal. They've made this choice to join this beautiful family, mm-hmm. but they all have to deal with the consequences of it. And we see what that is and whether it's, you yeah. know, and it's terrible and you feel terrible for them. The fact, you know, that Julianne Moore has made these choices. Especially now she's got to deal with Julianne Moore, you know, which is just you gotta, the saddest She's got to deal with the consequences of that Don Cheadle, you know, and they're all realizing we made this, we made this choice to join this family, but the rest of the world is shunning us now. And it is, it's like, but they keep, so that's why they keep coming back. And that's why there is a sense that- what the hell else are they going to do? Exactly. What are they going to do? Yeah. Yeah. Where else are they going to go? They have to survive. fascinating. What's really fascinating. And uh, uh, there's so many beautiful, amazing tracking shots. I mean, he is just brilliant because, and even, uh, yes, it's definitely, it's, uh, he's cribbing so much from Scorsese, but Mm -hmm. his camera is so- playful and so alive it's swirling in that first scene Mm -hmm. it's not just like wow that's impressive it it came off of a steady cam and like you know like look at all the doors he went through and look at all the people he met and look at how complicated it must have been to time all that out you think of that but it goes beyond because it's it's dancing around yeah. in that nightclub. It's swirling around. That's yeah. how do you choreograph that? Mm-hmm. But but with the, the the really fantastic thing with the and and I don't know how they did this or if this was just the happiest accident in the world. Mm-hmm. It's swirling around in that nightclub, and then it follows Roller Girl, and there's the sweep of it with Roller Girl, and there's that track, Best of My Love, right? Is the track mm-hmm. that's playing from the very beginning of the shot of the movie, and there's a point where. Heather Graham's butt like does a little da 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 like as she's skating <laughs> right to the music. and it goes to the music and it's like how 
That's just a happy act. Like you could never, because the song is just playing the way the song plays right. and the shot started the way the star shot. And there's no way in hell to, you know what I mean? But it feels like it was manufactured. I think Heather Graham's ass could have done that because that ass Heather was, ass can do Jesus, is just, I'm is sorry, magical. I don't mean to, to get to um, like the baser things here, but when, when Heather Graham, when Roller Girl first disrobes for the first time, I mean, it's just, it's, it's awe-inspiring. It's like looking at the statue of David. Me too. I had a two-year crush did. on Heather Graham that ended only when I saw Austin Powers, the spy who shagged <laughs> me, because I was like, oh, she's not funny. Oh. I think she's a lovely actress, but it's a turn-off when somebody's not yeah. funny. When, they, when they're being asked to be funny. You know what I mean? It's like, fine, you could be like yeah. a great dramatic actress and not really have a comic bone in your body, but then you can't be the star of a comedy. And she was, and I was like, oh, she really, <laughs> I, I, I don't mean to, I love you, Heather Graham. I think you're amazing in Boogie Nights and you're a wonderful <laughs> actor and <laughs> seem like a lovely person. And you had to suffer through a relationship with James Woods, but you weren't Whoa, great. Of the, of the leading ladies in Austin Powers Ooh. movies, she falls to, she's third behind Beyonce, but you know, Elizabeth, uh, Did she not see True face? Believer? Did she, she never? <laughs> no, she was working on True Beaver. That was oh, uh, another, oh, that no. was a Jack Horner oh, film. I can't speak. You, you were talking about how the, you know, they make their choices and what are the consequences and where do they land in the end? And not, not to jump to the end, but I mean, the end is as sprawling as this movie is, it's like he brings it home, literally, literally home yeah. in yes. such an incredible way. I said it when I talked about the soundtracks, you know, that when God Only Knows comes in on the soundtrack and that long tracking shot of Burt Reynolds. Now it's like we're behind yeah, Burt Reynolds as he's walking through, so through his home. And and I don't know, when I saw it in 1997, you know, you could say dysfunctional chosen family as many times as you want throughout this thing. But, and maybe some people might say it's a little heavy handed, but you, I needed that. I needed to see him walk through his house and Louis Guzman's cooking dinner yeah. and Melora Walters is painting by the pool and Roller Girl is, after, especially after the horrible, horrible oh, scene yeah. we witnessed with him and Roller Girl yeah. earlier. She's skating around the house, folding her clothes, cleaning her room. Cleaning her She's room. his daughter. He tells her to clean he her tells room. He tells her to go clean it's her amazing. room. One side of your room and move it to the other side. Okay. One side of the room will look clean, the usual look dirty. Family, 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 and yeah. normalcy, normalcy, normalcy. All these odd people, not a single fucking person related to each other, make this big, beautiful family. Yeah. And there, and even walking past William H. Macy's portrait on the wall, oh, we'll get to yes. him and what happens to him. Everything about it, and there's not. Until we get to the, until we get, then cut to Mark Wahlberg and that he's rehearsing the scene. The porn industry has has kind of disappeared for a, a little bit. Yeah. You know, you the cameras know are being unloaded at the beginning yeah. and Julianne Moore is getting ready to film at the end of that shot. Mm -hmm. But it's there's no trace of the lifestyle or mm -hmm. uh, or any it of feels that. feels safe. And it's not lewd or illicit. It and feels safe. And even those little scenes right prior to it where when the music kicks in and it mm -hmm. starts with uh, Don Cheadle and he's doing the commercial for his, his stereo store. And it's such a bad commercial. And then we cut to Reed doing such bad magic in the club. And we're seeing all the, and we're cutting to Roller Girl in a classroom, but she's still just as disengaged and just as pr probably not going to be a great student, but she's back in school. After everything you've gone through with these people, if you had shown us that montage of shots at the beginning of the movie, you'd laugh at them. You wouldn't work. Yeah. You would laugh at them and you'd say, 
Well, because what it is, is like all these things that we kind of potentially find mockable or, you know, there's something, there's judgment in all of these because none none of these is like, wow, look at the triumph. But in the course of the film, these are all triumphs. You're so like, you're like, wow, you're really doing magic in a club. Wow, you're really opening your stereo store. They're all winning on on their terms and, and in the face of everything that they've gone through and something that would have been laughable if you hadn't gone through this roller coaster ride with them at the beginning seems really inspiring and moving and joyful and peaceful at the end. And that's really kind of beautiful that it's not, it's not amping it up to be like, and then they all wound, you know, then everything went perfectly for them. No, it went better. It all got a little better. It went better. (laughs) And and they, and they were able to invest because they're able to invest a little bit more in each of their identities. You know, Amber Waves is now directing Don Cheadle's uh, commercial. Don Cheadle finally has that piece of his identity that is a successful, you know, because he has a bag of money in a scene we absolutely need to talk about. He fucking deserves it. The, The scene in the donut shop when, you know, that it's the, that was that's the scene that I always recall when um, thinking about this movie because my favorite scene in the movie. That's so funny. And I forget I forget about it every time, and every time it starts, I'm like, "Oh, that's right." Well, because it's the tracking shot again, but it's going from left to right, and it's and it's behind the case. Yes, he's looking through the case, and something about that shot as he's choosing donuts is so ominous. I remember from the first time seeing the movie, going something absolutely horrible is about to happen. I don't know what it is, but it's because it is so off-putting to be watching this slow, slow, slow tracking shot of this man choosing donuts through, a, through the glass of the, of the, of the donut case. It is, it's so deeply unsettling the, yeah. that you go, he's going to die. Something's yeah. going to happen here. Well, there's like a low chime in the background on the soundtrack too. Cause we've just seen all the yeah. other, we just saw the horrible, Scenes with girl. Mark Wahlberg getting beaten yes. by the homophobes, mm-hmm. and 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 the really disturbing scene of Roller yeah. Girl and and Jack Horner beating the shit out of it. It comes on this the heels the of that. This is the first time I've seen this movie a bunch of times. This is the first time I realized the guy in the limo is the guy from high school. From school, school, school. High school. gesture. I never ever oh, picked wow. that up before. I'm so dumb. He but, says your name's Brandy, and the look on her face. I I, I yep. made that comment about like, oh, I didn't think she was funny in Austin Powers. Uh, come on, uh, Austin Powers wasn't funny in Austin Powers too. But <laughs> she's amazing in this scene. I mean, that look she's on incredible. her face with that tight and and how she changes from when she has sex with Mark Wahlberg at the beginning. Yeah. She's like, we're gonna fuck. There's playfulness in it. There's yeah. joy. You're like, well, they're porn stars, but look how much fun they're having making porn. Now yeah. it's the Tracy Lords coked out like oh, crimped God. hair eighty like we're doing it on videotape. They, in fact, there's a, there's yeah. a line, there's something earlier in the scene or, or in a previous scene about prostitution and this isn't prostitution. And we're, you know, the difference between right. pornography and prostitution. And then he's filming something that is essential. That is that prostitution. Is, yeah. That's not an actor. No. You're pulling a guy off the street to fuck her in a car. Right. That's what prostitutes do. And that's what you're making your daughter do. It's real. I mean, that, yeah. I, I'm all over the place here because of the, with that, no. but, but there's a great moment. I don't, uh, the guys who beat up Mark Wahlberg are going one way on the street. Their cars are pulling away one way. Then the limo with Heather Graham and Burt Reynolds is coming in the other way and then Cheadle's car turns in and goes to the donut shop so you've just come off the heels of that and it's there's this chime fate, in the background yeah. it's like Christmas and yes, it's this right. low ominous chime and then we go to a donut shop and you're like 
what the fuck's going to happen in this fucking donut shop? And yeah. it takes you all the way That's to the right. worst possible thing. And, and the fact that he survives, that Don Cheadle survives, that is so cathartic, but it, but it, the tension is drawn out when he's like, is that a bear claw? And what is that with the sprinkles? It's Give me that. It's like watching somebody yeah. pick donuts yes. with a, when you know <laughs> that that's it, Jason, what you're, what you're actually doing is watching a guy pick donuts. What you're feeling inside is gut wrenching because you know, something's horrible is about to yeah, happen. His wife's super pregnant and they didn't get the bank loan. And nope. you're like, is, is, are, are we going to get a win or? Or are we just going down this, is it just a cavalcade of misery now? Because that's what the movie starts feeling like. And when he grabs that bag of money, okay. Like that feels, there's, that is literally a a fucked up win, but you You want him to take it. But there is something very metaphorical about the fact that he, he gets it. He's standing there covered in blood. There's carnage. And and that's how he gets his money. And there's sort of this, this sort of like a metaphor for what they're, they're all doing this one particular thing for money and it's sort of creating a carnage in their own life. I mean, it's really not, you know, it's, it's, yeah, I don't want to compare sex to murder at all, but Mm. it it is that thing that they're watching it this time thinking like, that's so interesting that he's sitting there like with brains on his face. Literal blood money. (laughs) It's it's, it's blood money in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, people consider it criminal, right? There's some huge swath of society that, that that the sex industry is criminal or should be criminalized. And it's so interesting. The bank manager, the bank manager is like, you can't do it. And you know, and obviously Amber was arrested for something. Yeah. We don't involving lewd acts or whatever. You know, mm-hmm. and, and that, mm-hmm. so yes, it's criminalized and it yeah. is, it's a bad, dirty word. And also I just want to say Buck in that scene, right? He's wearing, we don't know exactly why, but talk about his identity, right? Yes. He's wearing a completely white suit. He is right. from the beginning. He's trying to find his way and what his obsession with the country Western thing. He's trying yeah. to find his way in a white man's world. He's, yes. there's, I mean, there's something too. very much huh. at play yeah. there, you know, no I, um, anyway. For sure. And, it, and, it, and, and when he is covered in that red blood, I mean, he is covered, covered. in it. And then he sees that bag. It's an incredible scene. It's very scene. Tarantino. We talk about Scorsese yes, a lot. He's also, true, true. Uh, you know, paying homage i mean again paul thomas anderson what is he like 20 at this point he's he's in his early early 20s he's a kid making this and so his influences are scorsese latter-day scorsese and quentin tarantino Mm -hmm. there's a lot of pulp fiction and uh you know tim roth and what's her face at the beginning you know there's that diner scene feels like something out of not diner scene the donut shop scene feels like the diner scene and Pulp Fiction yeah, or something right. out of yes, Reservoir it Dogs. Well, it, it just has that feel. Reminds me of an earlier Scorsese movie, After Hours, if you've ever seen that. Yeah. Where it's yeah, just yeah. about like yeah, Griffin Dunn's trying to make it through the night. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. Right. A great ensemble yeah. cast too, by the way. Um, one last thing that I, ha- I have to mention, because it was, Taylor and I were both watching uh, at this moment. And it was, it just was a, it, it hurt me physically um, when the first time you see Philip Seymour Hoffman, he's seeing the girl being wheeled out because she's overdosed. Yeah. And that just hurt my heart so, so, so bad yeah. because we know what happened to Philip Seymour Hoffman. But it's like, oh, oh my God. Oh, God. I didn't, I didn't even about think that. about it's that. It's just, it, it was so, it was <gasps> so like that. real world crashing into this movie from the past, right? Oh, man. No one wow. could have known at the time. And I, and Taylor and I both looked at each other. We were like, oh, my God, is that hard to watch? Oh, wow. He's, yeah. he's showing up <gasps> on the scene as someone's being, being, you know, 
we don't know if she lives or dies, but she she just overdosed and is being wheeled out and put in an ambulance or taken to the hospital. It it is um, uh, that that moment happening. You know this this movie's full of of tragedy and comedy comedy. You know occupying the same yeah. the same space. Oh yeah, um, uh, and so much of what Philip Seymour Hoffman does in this is funny and makes you smile and chuckle, and he's so freaking sad. Yeah. It's so uh, uncomfortable throughout it. It's deeply uncomfortable. He's wonderful. My God, rest the, the moment for me that you know most people talk about with this movie, and especially with him. But I remember when I saw the f- movie the first time, the the moment that stuck out for me was always the scene of him in the car, which I'm a yeah. fucking idiot. I'm fucking, an idiot. and I just remember thinking like, how, what w- just a brave performance, but also such a so brave vulnerable. directorial choice just to, yeah. to hold it on him, you know, because mm-hmm. ostensibly it's not, you know, another director might've been like, okay, we're done with that story. Let's follow it. Let's move on to what's going on next. But it just sits there. And again, it just shows Where do you it's get like that sitting in the consequences of your choices. Yeah. It's sitting in the uncomfortability of this world. It's just letting these moments play out. And that's what, to me, what makes the movie so beautiful. Just that the fact that Paul Thomas Anderson is such, is so assured in how he's directing yeah. it that he's like, no, we're going to, we're going to slow things down and just focus on this sad kid. Oh, fuck it, idiot. I'm a fucking idiot. I'm a fucking idiot. I'm a fucking idiot. I'm a fucking idiot. Fucking idiot. Fucking idiot. Fucking idiot. It's a... A beautifully... Yeah, brave and vulnerable moment. Um, There's so many amazing music cues in this, but... My favorite one this time in the rewatch and the moment which really sort of broke my heart was um, in that, you know, the the first, the pool scene and they're playing the song Lonely Boy by Andrew Gold, which mm. is just a great song anyway. <laughs> and um, and it never dawned on me the connection between Lonely Boy and what they're actually talking about, her son yeah. being this Lonely Boy. And the fact, you know, when Luis Guzman her. is- Yeah, yeah. and he's, and Luis Guzman is-, is you know, and obviously, and she's been saying right before that that she wants to be basically a mother figure to Dirk right. Diggler. You know, yep. I mean, in the, from the moment he meets her, she's like, come with us, sweetie. Everything's sweetie and honey and like, oh, you're going to look great. It's going to be great. Like, she wants to be the mother to him. And then her own son calls and no one knows, you know, the, no one knows who this person is on the phone. She's snorting a line of coke. That moment, that music and that moment of seeing what she was doing like it just it broke my heart she's just she's got this this amazing haze over her from eyes, the beginning, the entire she's, movie. Yeah, the whole she's, time. She's drugged escape. out the whole. She's time. so good at it, Julianne Moore, she and she's really so is. good at being a bad actress. She's brilliant. Yes. That's why she got the Oscar nomination. Her her bad porn acting yeah. is so perfect. Yeah, when she said like in the scene, she just I howled. Just the lines. That's terrible. When he was like, you know, if I don't get this, my my land my landlord's a real jerk. Her line yeah. reading of that's terrible. I was howling. Oh my god! I'm like so funny, and then it just. 
the sentence to be like, oh, this is disturbing again. You know? Yeah. And yeah. But even Just even her way. sex with him is, dare I say, motherly because of yeah. its tenderness. She's yes. caring for yeah. him during it. It's not, there's very little in this movie. And he that wants is, to please her and do a good job. Like, yeah. Is it okay if I make it look really sexy? Yeah. yeah. When they sort of cut, when the mag runs out, Mm-hmm. I love that. And they start up again. And I love how uh, Jack Horner just goes, quiet sticks. Like they're doing the most traumatic scene yeah. Yeah. in the world. Like this yeah. is art. What's happening right now. We it's can't art. disturb this genius. So mm-hmm. do the sticks, but do it quiet. No, well, what's what's great about that scene too is that you also, Paul Thomas Anderson takes you inside the camera yeah. and yeah. shows shows it being being um, etched forever on film and it's like, okay, this is forever now, you know, now you can never, ever take this back now. And mm-hmm. for all time you have had sex on film. And that means wow. for the That's rest really of your life, this is you now, you now mm, have a new identity and it's this forever yeah. it'll never go away that's great and that's, yeah. that's really it's something. also an interesting way of showing that you're like we're making a movie about making pornos how do you do it without becoming a pornographic film you know they had a lot of discussions <laughs> exactly. about that you've got to be very artful and yeah and showing it through the you've got the to, back yeah. of the through the camera and 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 focusing on the film yep. reels and everything yeah it's very interesting um, but the, that's a really good point uh, how it's you're captured forever. There. The stuff with like Bill Macy and Ricky Jay, mm-hmm. you know, just talking about That's like the working with a lot of shadows and yeah. the like, just seeing the behind <laughs> the scenes aspect of the it. Shadows in life, babe. And, you know, with Burt Reynolds watching and he's so good, he's never, even when he's watching Roller Girl and, um, and Dirk Diggler, you know, in the house, he's not, yeah, that's right. Do it like that. He's not getting off on it. He's watching it as a, as an auteur, you know, he's, yeah. he's not, it's not lewd or lascivious to him. He's watching it for the artistry. He's never, he's not like getting off on it. You never get the impression that he's getting off on it. He's never, he, it's not, it's not that for him, for him, it's making its artistry. I don't want to make a film where they show up, they sit down, they jack off, and they get up and they get out before the story ends. It is my dream, it is my goal, it is my idea to make a film that the story just sucks them in. And when they spurt out that joy juice, they just gotta sit in it. They can't move until they find out how the story ends. That's my dream. To make a film that is true and right and dramatic. The only thing that really keeps this from being a 10 Sheila movie for me, and I'm probably at like a 9.5 or 9.75, is um, the Thomas Jane character. I don't need him. I never needed him from from the first watch. I was like, maybe this time I'll understand why you also need now also this other guy, this sort of wild card guy. And I'm well, like, he's I, the one who, I don't think it's you, showing what Mark, what Dirk Diggler could he become. He pulls I think. Mark Wahlberg. He pulls Dirk into really into the darkness and really su- to his lowest point. I suppose, I suppose I just, it always has felt like we got to tack on another another person, but I guess you're right. He's not a member of the family. Yeah. 
And he does it, call it one more thing. He calls that section. Does it, isn't section. it? It's, yeah. It's one, called one, one more thing. thing. Long way yeah. down. Long yeah. way down. Yeah. Um, and, and he's been in the film before that, but that's where he, that his plan that. Uh, uh, I've never. Uh, I guess we're not supposed to connect with this character. We're no, not, we are I agree supposed with to see you, him as I, sort of a demon or devil from the outside, or or something, someone we can't trust, someone who's from a different part of this world, sort of adjacent to the world. But I don't know. I always feel like I've always felt like that's a, that's, that's another extra thing that I, we could have found another way to, to, to get in. But I understand, I guess what, after what you guys are saying right now, I understand the purpose um, yeah. of why he, he's there. He used to feel extraneous to me too. And mm-hmm. he used to feel a little, uh, I don't want to say over the top, but, uh, something a little overwrought about it. And, and it's, Agreed. but it's funny, like the way he, he's introduced like a cartoon yeah. character too. You hear yeah. like, <laughs> and then the fence swings open. So it's like a cartoon character bursts in. Yeah. It's a little weird, but it's like, he's the, you know, he, he represents one tributary. He's like, when the family rejects Dirk, that's, that's where he goes to. That's the bad place he goes to is that character. And when Dirk, the, when the, the the falling out starts to occur with him and Burt Reynolds, it's because they brought in this other, the other character who's kind of extraneous and who doesn't have as much weight as Thomas Jane is the actor. I don't know his name who plays the new upstart porn kid, you yes, know, the right. one who comes yeah, in, sure. you know, but there's kind of like those two characters come in late in the game and they represent different things for Dirk. They represent competition and then they represent like, you know, this, uh, you know, this new, new friend, like maybe I'm going to make a new family here or I'm going to yeah. make a new connection here. And yeah, I, I hear you about that, but it doesn't, it, it doesn't hurt the movie for me at all. And in fact, he grows on me in in rewatches. Mm. Yeah, um, me too. Uh, I know it'd be less this time. Yeah. Talking about, um, you know, we talk about how long the camera sits with with Philip Seymour Hoffman in the car. There is that classic moment. It's 50 seconds long, yeah. five zero just seconds long. Him, watching just watching his, his face. Yeah. Just ca- the camera on him during that big, epic Alfred Molina drug den scene. And you're just sitting with him and you're. And the things that play on his face, it's, it's fascinating. And yeah. you never know. It's like one of the great secrets, right? Like what is going through his mind? Because it's not stock regret. It's like, no. it's all sorts of things. It's, all, it's like he goes away and then he comes back and he gets that headache comes, right? He, yeah. he touches his temple or he mm-hmm. touches his forehead. And then all of a sudden, got to go. Yeah. Time to go. It's right. fascinating. Yeah. Whatever was going on for Mark Wahlberg there. And, and many times I think like, did he just, and the way Reed is kind of like, t- looks like he's talking to him uh, off of the corner of the periphery. Mm-hmm. He's like trying the, to get his attention, like snap. It out. almost seemed like when I've watched this movie before, I'm like, did, did Paul Thomas Anderson, was it like they were filming more of a scene was there dialogue going on and he just chose to focus on Mark Wahlberg right. who had no yeah, lines yeah. for a little while. And I mean, that's probably not what happened, but that's what it feels like. It feels like there's a scene going on, a conversation going on, on the periphery, on the edge of the frame, mm-hmm. but, but he's just chosen. Anderson's just chosen to like focus on the person who's not speaking in the scene. And then he's dropped out the sound from the conversation. That's yes. probably not what actually happened, but that's what it feels like. And it's a fascinating little private moment. It probably really did have amazing. a scene going on. You'd have to. I'm sure there was a scene that I, I can't imagine, uh, you know, John but you know C. what I mean? But, but, but meaning that like, was it planned okay, not, here's yeah. the scene and I'm choosing to just fit, but as if nobody knew, like as if Wahlberg didn't know the camera was on him even. That's oh. how intimate and 
odd it is. That's what I'm saying. Um, it reminds me of this scene in Goodfellas where they move in, where he moves in on De Niro's face when he's thinking about killing Maury. Yeah. You know, that, that oh, yeah. level of sort of fascination. And it's all just thoughts while he's smoking the cigarette. And it's, it's very, you know, again, it's another nod to, to, to Scorsese to me of like, and, and you also see like at one point on his face, sort of fascination and, and, um, uh, not joy really, but like, a this is really cool being here. This is, yeah. this is well, it's, it's gotta fun. be on him. It's, it's gotta be his choice. You've got to see, I mean, yes. I think that's the whole thing is you're seeing everything that's it. going through his head of that idea of like, this is terrible, but this mm-hmm. is sort of fun. <laughs> and what am I going to do? And it's got to come down to him saying, no, it's time to go. Time Cause to that's go. why Thomas Jane is there. He's making the choice. Am I going to keep going down this route? Am I going to yes. keep going with this guy? Right. No, I'm making the choice. I'm snapping out of this. I'm going to get up. Unfortunately, it doesn't matter. And then it's yeah. it's even it's even it's even a longer way down because then it descends into something even crazier. Mm. But you need it's got to be. I think that's what's so fascinating and cathartic about it as well that it's got to be his choice to snap out of this to say no. Yeah. We're, we're done. We're moving on. We're getting out of here. It's, yeah, it's a beautiful it, scene. Paul mm-hmm. Thomas Anderson's just, I mean, it's just so, I mean, and this is context that, you know, it, the film, without knowing the age or the career of the director, right? I mean, the film stands as this great achievement, but I can't help separating out, like, how young he was and how assured he is because these choices, these long shots, not just the tracking shots, which are like, I'm going to show off for you. Right. But these moments like hanging on a character for, and there are movies he does where, you know, I think, I think in Magnolia, there's, it's even sometimes even more, even bolder and sometimes less successful than in shots. Boogie Nights. Yeah. You know what I mean? He's but uh, he's taking but, he, but he really kind of, and he does it in so many different ways. And I also think one of the great moments is, you know, we talked about that you mentioned it in passing when William H. Macy's <laughs> mistakenly says, my fucking wife has an ass in her cock in the driveway, Kurt. All right. I'm sorry if my thoughts are not on the photography of the film we're shooting tomorrow. Okay. My wife's got an ass in her cock. Great. You know, I've seen it so many times and I'm like, it is a mistake. It's a mistake. I read. Really? He did screw it up. I know. Well, that's it. It's it's because it's, he screwed up and apparently he screws, he screwed up in one take. Then he gets it right. Then he does this other take, screws it up again. They get to the end of that long take. And then they're like, you know, you said it wrong again. And, and William H. Macy's like, no, son of a bitch. Really? I said it wrong again. And then he's like, well, that that's ruined. It's ruined. We're not going to. And he uses that take because yes, everything else sure. about that take is fucking perfect. The perfect. framing of it, the yeah. composition, even the way Ricky Jay, after William H. Macy leaves the scene, just the way, <laughs> like a there. giant Muppet, the way Ricky yeah. Jay, like, kind of like <laughs> looks back and then shuffles toward, like, there's just the way his head turns toward the sax. And the great Nina Hartley. <laughs> and, yes. and, and then the rest of his giant body moves toward the, it's just a perfect shot. So he's like, yeah, funny. that's the best take. I got to use it. But it's so funny. And it also, it, it works. It feels chosen. It feels like it's in the script because yeah. I was like, is, I've had it the does. same thought, Fred, like, is that a mistake or is it written? His exasperation is written into the script so that he would say something like that because he's just so overwhelmed and just, you it know, it, because it just seems like a moment of true exasperation where we just say something wrong. So honest, so true. 
but the film is so crafted that way so so often that you think like, well, maybe that's purposeful. But no, the choice to use the, the shot was purposeful. Uh, the take it was, was a happy purposeful. accident. It was just a happy accident. But right. um, we have to talk about Burt Reynolds before we wrap up because we have. I mean, I just think he's fucking amazing in this, he's and he is the and, uh, anchor of the movie. Even if Wahlberg's the heart, he's the yeah. anchor, and and it's amazing that he. Did not like the movie, talked shit that about the movie. He lost the Oscar because he w- distanced himself so much. And then when the reviews came pouring in, then he tried to get back in there and be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, and it was a little too little too late because he absolutely deserved the Oscar for this. I love Robin Williams, but this was, it was wow. amazing. It's, it was, it was Burt Reynolds Oscar to lose. And I, I think wonder he why did he did that. He was, why he didn't think it was going to be I good. think because it seemed salacious and it was just, I, I think he thought, P.T. Anderson was this upstart know-it-all kid. Because think about it. To be all these things we're saying about P.T. Anderson, he's got to be a little insufferable at like 20 years old or 20, whatever he was, 25, you know. And there's, I read a quote where Burt Reynolds is like, yeah, he comes off of the, you know, he does that opening tracking shot. And he's like, isn't that amazing? Like, like as if it's never been done before. And then Burt Reynolds like was like, it's been done here. It's been done here. It's been mm. done here. It's been done here. Wow. So there was a lot of like old Hollywood, young upstart energy going on behind the scenes yeah. with them, apparently. And I think it's also like, he's like, it's an indie about porn. And he probably felt, you know, there's some of the things he has to say and do in this movie he does. He does it all so well. He's so brilliant. But I'm sure there's a part of he's him. He's not phoning it in. He's not doing what he no, did. In he's meet Wally Sparks. That's you know what I the mean? mark. He's a great. No, he's a great. He, he is a. He's mm-hmm. a greater actor than I ever would have given him credit for. Correct. And he is full, like your, your, your phrase, Dan, full freight in yeah. this movie. Completely committed. Creates an indelible character, and yet had his qualms the whole time, and probably felt like. He probably thought it was going to torpedo his career to play like this guy who says, you know, is like, come on, come on our tits and, you know, fuck her in the ass. You know, I think he thought it was like this could go very uh, Robert Davi showgirls. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like it it could it could have been another. Obviously, if he's paying attention, you could see it's not another showgirls. It's a piece of art being made. But I'm sure. You know, uh, he's also been around the block enough to know, like, what happens when this thing gets in the editing room? This could, you know, it could make it could make my this third act of my career or it could kill the third act of my career. And, Mm. you know, and it was great for him. But again, didn't you know, it didn't. like Yeah. What was his next movie? Mystery Alaska, I think, or something like that. You know, it didn't pay reap the dividends. It. It could have or should have, and I think that's partly his, of his attitude. lack of, of 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 confidence in what was happening looking, while he was. I doing kept it. looking for moments where Burt Reynolds might have been phoning it in in this, never because, because of his so because of his extreme dissatisfaction with being in it or with Anderson or with the content or or whatever. And you, there's not a one. He's fully. I kept thinking about. I, I'm serious when I say I kept thinking about Meet Wally Sparks when I was like, well, he's clearly <laughs> miserable and phoning it in, but he never is in this and 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 you know so despite his own <laughs> reservations or his own disgruntled nature on the set or whatever he's fully i mean was he still this anti boogie nights after having seen the film after having seen the final product uh, apparently when they premiered it at new york film festival and it was uh, like Massive. the greatest reaction that wow. they've ever had. You know I mean? It was, it was a, a triumph. And they say he came out on the stage 
like he made the movie. Like Reynolds came out like along with everybody else and was presiding over the Q&A like a proud papa. That's what I've read. Wow. And so then he bought in big after the premiere. But I think it there was just a little too little too late because I think everybody had kind of been hearing in Hollywood like how dissatisfied he was and how Gosh. unhappy he was. And I think it hurt him. I think it hurt him. I mean, he won the Golden Globe, but I think it, oh, right. it hurt yeah. him with the Oscars. Well, and Anderson met with Rip Taylor, but he wanted to be Roller Girl. And so he, <laughs> that was very clear from their first it would have been so great meetings. though because you know you get you get more confetti spread if you're on skates if you're on reels you're covering more surface area say spread the confetti on her tits that's oh. what I'd say <laughs> 10 sheilas uh, 10, 10 sheilas 10 full thick sweaty sheilas for this Guys, 9.75 t- so so 10 full hard t- or i want to go 13 sheilas for every inch of that prosthetic <laughs> cock good gravy but I mean, this is like, I mean, I've always said this was my, like my second favorite movie. It might be after this rewatch. I'm like, Oh, I don't know. It might usurp anything Batman related. I just don't know. I just don't know. It's way up there. I mean, it's, it's right there. It's right there. Yeah. <laughs> Fabulous. <laughs> it's right there with the Dark Knight. It's uh It's pretty damn perfect. It's pretty it's damn fantastic. Perfect. Anyway, Boogie Nights. Yeah. because we forgot yes, last for week <gasps> oh uh, to an amazing piece of fan artwork that oh was created oh for God. us. We, we want to give a shout out. Talk about ensemble cast. <laughs> I, well, exactly. This is our very own ensemble cast. <laughs> the the Arthropod, Arthropod Squad was our immortalized in an amazing Drew Struzan-esque movie poster by Mr. Jake Thomas, who is uh, also, full disclosure, my brother-in-law. And um, yeah, he created this that he's been working on for for months now. Months, I say, Mm. uh, featuring all of our our favorite characters. Uh, There's the the Sayer of the Flaws and... Mm. uh, uh, tote doing stand-up <laughs> comedy with a melted face and Sheila and Richard Dreyfus with their newborn children. I mean, mm. it's, it's, inc- it's incredible. It needs to be seen to be believed. So the heaven phone folks the, from up. Yep. The, the heaven phone. All of your favorite characters are there. So I'm going to, we'll, we'll put it up on the website so it can be seen yeah. on opening weekend podcast.com. So you can check it out. And I feel like we've talked it. We'll figure out a way uh, if people actually want uh, a copy it for the themselves mm. uh there's there's talk about maybe um we'll, we'll give some away uh with some uh charitable donations yeah. Uh, yeah but it's an amazing piece of artwork it's so really Jake, thank amazing. you so much it's um 
It's just gorgeous. It needs to be seen to be believed. So uh, yeah, check so it out. Good. OpeningWeekendPodcast.com. Check out his, his work on uh, Jake Thomas Creative. I believe Ooh. that's his website. So he's an amazing yes. graphic artist. So if you're looking for some uh, for album covers or movie posters or or book covers, that's the stuff he does. So uh, so give him a, a look-see. Jake Thomas Creative. So yes, yeah, so Boogie Nights and Glenn Gary Glenn Ross last week, uh, last week, last episode, mm. uh, ha- have us thinking about ensembles and like what is, you know, so many films are driven by a central performance or one great star turn, but um, but when when you got a group of actors and it clicks just right, I mean, this really should be an homage to casting directors. Although, isn't that sad? I don't know who I did not look up who cast any of the movies I have mm. on my list, but <laughs> anyway, there's a lot of people who go into the the casting process and and there's uh, you know so, so many stories of people who drop out of parts and get replaced at the last second and you know but but again like what you were saying dan about dirk diggler's first time you know once it's captured on film forever mm-hmm. and then you have that piece of art to to look back on i mean it is it is uh it's there's there's there are a few things more delicious and joyful as a movie fan than like watching like a perfect, perfect cast. Especially and, uh, as actors, you know, we want to see yeah. that magic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so I thought it would be fun for us to list our top 10 favorite ensemble casts. We were talking, I don't know if we said this while we were recording or not, but I think we're going to save honorable mentions mm. for right before we uh, cite our number ones. Mm-hmm. Um, or anybody have criteria that they want to talk about before Ooh. they go into I was this? trying to, th- this was so hard. We talked about this before. I mean, God, it was so difficult. Very difficult. Uh, I didn't think it was going to be as difficult as it was, but as much as I could, I was like the only way, and I'll, I'll you know, I'll mention 3 million other movies in, in my honorable mentions at the end, but um, I was trying to focus it as much as I could. For, and for the most part, I think I did on movies that, where it's not just one focal person at the center, where it truly is about where where everyone involved has sort of an equal share. Mm. That was the only way that I could sort of, you know, start to cut things down a bit. So I don't know if I was successful there, but that's where I tried to, and I was trying to pare things down a bit. I was like, well, let me see if I can really aim for movies where it's really, where it's not just about this one person and everyone else around them, but where it's like a group, which is tough. I don't know if I'm successful in that, you know, uh, actually I know I'm not, but, Hmm. but that's what I was, that's what I was thinking in the beginning. That's really good. How about you, Dan? Any I didn't, I didn't go that far. Some of mine do have a central character, but a great ensemble around that person. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah, I guess I, I was, I was trying to avoid, um, you know, movies like that, but then there were some that were just unavoidable where I was like, this, this is a great, star turn, you know, but it also has an amazing ensemble around, around the person or the main duo, let's say. I didn't really have a criteria. Uh, those are great. I, except that I wasn't, um, you know, like I said, if if we're thinking like ensembles, you start thinking like the big, big casts, you know, and, uh, I, it didn't necessarily need to be a gigantic cast for me. It just had to be, you know, if it, uh, it could be like, you know, five or six, you know, main parts and, you know, and that, that's enough. That's, that's an ensemble to me, you know? So it, Mm -hmm. so it didn't need, because when I look at it, I'd say about half of mine or maybe more than half are not really sprawling casts. Uh, but 
pretty faultless uh, casts, at least in all the major roles. So yeah. that's that. Uh, any, anybody dying to dive in with number 10? Frederick, you start. start, start. Me? Come on. Yes, please. Uh, full disclosure, I don't, until like the last two, they're not really numbered. So there's really, I'm oh. just, they'll, they'll be numbered for the sake of being numbered, but I'm going to make my number 10. I'm going to say, <laughs> so let's do this. I'm switching it <laughs> to the last second. Fabulous. It's a little Boy. movie that I like to call The Godfather. No way. And because uh, again, I was thinking about it. it. There's not really, yes, it's called The Godfather. And, but Brando's really not the lead character. To, it's a, it's no. a, it's a, I mean, you don't really realize until the end of the movie that it's sort of focusing on Michael, but Brando, mm. James Caan, Robert Duvall, Pacino, John Cazale, Diane Keaton, Richard mm. Castellano, Talia Shire, Sterling Hayden, Abe Vigoda, the list goes on. It's, and it feels, it's a movie that it, it feels like Boogie Nights. It feels like family from the moment it starts. You are immersed in this world mm-hmm. of of family, La Familia, and the characters coming in and out. And uh, it's it's sprawling and yet very, very intimate. And it's just, it's an amazing, perfectly cast film, you know, that apparently mm. shouldn't have worked at all, you know, and did. That's great. Danny, you want to go or I'll go? Sure, I'll go. Yeah. Uh, my number 10 is Galaxy Quest. We've uh, talked about hey, that yeah. uh, movie on this podcast before. Uh, Tim Allen, Sigourney Weaver, Alan Rickman, Tony, Tony Shalhoub, Sam Rockwell, uh, Enrico Colantoni, who is the greatest, the greatest, the greatest, as far as yes. Mathis are, uh, Missy Pyle, Justin Long, and on and on and on. Everybody in this thing is at the top of their game. It is hilarious. Uh, and they're, they're all, you know, yes, I guess the central character is tim allen's character but but um everybody is uh um everybody else gets uh equal oh yeah um uh equal footing equal uh weight uh daryl mitchell um you know uh everybody everybody who's part of the the main crew and then there's also all kinds of great smaller performances um uh throughout like uh um justin long's parents are great you know the, yeah. all, the, all the other kids who help him are are, are terrific who help him land yeah. the the uh the the spaceship at the end so and they're all doing such specific work and they're also committed um to it and it is of course a spoof of star trek which is one of the great ensembles right so so um it's uh um a really really i i i wanted this to be potentially higher uh on on the list but the other ones i couldn't you know i could Mm. not have it on my list of 10 um so it came in at number 10 i can't go out there and i want to say that stupid line one more time can't. I won't. Well, Alex, at least you had a part. Okay? You had a character people loved. I mean, my TV Guide interview was six paragraphs about my boobs and how they fit into my suit. No one even bothered to ask me what I do on the show. You had the... Wait, wait, I'll think of it. I repeated the computer, Fred. Whew! Your commander is on deck. Ha-ha! Wow, that smog is thick today, huh? Am I too late for Alexander's panic attack? Apparently not. Uh, my number 10 is a little movie called The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> the, the, oh, I mean, could there be a more no, perfect wonderful. kind of, I yes, mean, it's just so iconic. Right. Every performance so iconic. Uh, Judy Garland, of course, as Dorothy Gale. And then Margaret Hamilton as the Wicked Witch of the oh West. God, just perfect, perfect, mm-hmm. perfect iconic. Uh, Frank Morgan as the Wizard of Oz. Uh, <laughs> and and then the, the, the Scarecrow, the Tin Man and the Lion, uh, Ray Bolger, Jack Haley, and Burt Lahr. They're just, I mean, it's just... 
Perfect. Even the fucking lollipop guild. I mean, they're all, <laughs> everyone's great. <laughs> but that, it is, it's just so, it's God just so iconic. It just struck me. I was guild. like, I was like, that's like, that's an incredible, incredible cast of character and just every, every role played to perfection and, and indelible and just like it, it deeply iconic, deeply memorable. Everybody knows, you know, and, and, and it just, they, they all work beautifully together and yeah. I just happy thinking about it. I haven't watched the wizard of Oz in a very long time, but it's so good. Um, but I was like, that's a pretty amazing ensemble. Uh, and was then the lollipop to- guild an actual trade union. Did they, was it like the garment <laughs> workers guild? <laughs> Did they organize? Yes. They, there, there was some tension with the, the cotton candy coalition. <laughs> but the, oh God. There is, I don't know what the fuck I'm talking Ridiculous. about. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, and then I'll go to my number nine. Yeah. My, my number nine is the Avengers. The first oh, yeah. Joss Whedon Avengers film It's the movie that should not have worked. And it did. And it's changed Hollywood completely. <laughs> uh, I mean, really, I mean, it was like, you know, people were ready. They were like, this is not going to come together. You know, it's like you got fucking Thor and Iron Man, and that, but those actors were great. And, and, and they really worked well together. Robert Downey Jr., Chris Hemsworth, Chris Evans as Captain America. They're the, the core Mark Ruffalo stepping in for Edward Norton as the Hulk. Then you've got Scarlett Johansson, Jeremy Renner, um, Clark Gregg, who's wonderful so as good. Agent so Coulson. Good. He's the unsung and, uh, hero of that movie. And Samuel L. Jackson as the, the, the Burt Reynolds father figure <laughs> standing over it all. But I mean, really, they, it, it, it should have been a clusterfuck. And it, I mean, this is as much a testament to Joss Whedon and Kevin Feige and everybody at Marvel for like pulling it off, like bringing such disparate seeming characters and having them work together. But they are, they do come together as like Boogie Nights, this dysfunctional family uh, with, with their squabbles and their, uh, and strife and, uh, and, and they, but they have great, great rapport together, great chemistry. It's wonderful. A lot of people would say, well, if you're going to go there, go Avengers Endgame. It's got 300 people in it, but that's not, you know, that's a, that's its own thing. But this is really the interaction and the interplay between the actors and the Avengers is, uh, uh, pretty fantastic. And I think is as much as seeing them flying around and smashing things and all the, all the spectacle, I think how they played together as a company was probably the the thing that made it such a huge hit at the time. So I love the dialogue scenes great. when they're all trying to figure it out. You that's know, the best that's stuff. my favorite things in the movie. That's the best stuff when they're all together in a room talking <laughs> yeah, is, the, is more satisfying than any fight scene or any big, I'm you know, you. Uh, special effect. You speak of control, yet you caught chaos. This is MO, isn't it? I mean, what are we, a team? No, no, no. We're a chemical mixture that makes chaos. We're, we're a time bomb. You need to step away. Why shouldn't the guy let off a little steam? You know damn well why. Back off. Oh, I'm starting to want you to make me. Yeah. Big man in a suit of armor. Take that off. What are you? Genius billionaire playboy philanthropist. It would go back to you, Danny, Ooh, right? Number yeah, nine, right? Yes, yes, that's right. Rependuming. Um, uh, we've reviewed this movie on the podcast before. It's Love Actually. I think this is a yeah. fantastic 
fantastic ensemble. This truly is one of those movies where it is equitable across the cast. Everybody kind of gets there's really I guess you could maybe call Hugh Grant the lead, but I don't think so. I think it's just as much time devoted to his story as anybody else. Bill Nye, Gregor Fisher, Colin Firth, Liam Neeson, Emma Thompson, uh, again, Alan Rickman, incredible, Chuetel Ejiofor, Kira Knightley, Hugh Grant, of course, uh, Martine McCutcheon, who's so, so, so good, uh, the <gasps> amazing her. Laura Linney, uh, and on and on and on. It is um, uh, such a great uh, such a great cast across the board. We've reviewed it on the podcast. Go back to episode five and listen to our <laughs> review of Love, actually. But it is, it's one of my favorite holiday movies. It's a, it's, it will be on rewatch um, in just a month or two here yeah. um, because my wife and I love it so much. But everybody across the board is at the top of their game in this thing. I love it. Okay. That's what I had my next go. one on the list is uh, Tom McCarthy's Spotlight. Yeah, uh, that's great. Yeah. came out a couple of years ago. And it's, you know, I, I was rewatching again the other night, actually. And I was like, it's no wonder he, because he was Tom McCarthy, was, uh, was an actor, still is an actor, I believe. And he was part of The Wire, which is one of, you know, the greatest ensembles ever assembled on screen through all those seasons. He was tell on. Tell everyone the, the, what you always tell them stop what you're doing now, stop, stop what you're to doing, the podcast, go watch, watch all the wire. Of the wire. <laughs> yeah. But Tom McCarthy was, was an actor on there. And, uh, but Spotlight, you got Michael Keaton, Mark Ruffalo who to me is the state they're all amazing but ruffalo blows me away in this movie ruffalo. his character work john slattery stanley tucci rachel mcadams lee f schreiber billy crude oh, yeah. brian darcy james jamie God. sheridan wow. and carrie and then you have there's so many then all these so the good. actors i don't mean to dismiss them uh who, who play uh you know the 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 adult versions of the kids who were uh, uh taken advantage and molested by the priests it, but it's mm-hmm. just it's a great oh, it's a God. true yeah. ensemble there is no lead nice subtle character Character work throughout. And it won Best Picture, did it not? Yeah, it did win Best yeah. Picture. Yeah. yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, my next one. Let's. I'm okay. I'm going to do something here that's never been done in the history of opening weekend podcast, and maybe in podcasts in general. Wow. Hmm. I'm going to do a triple tie, oh, which I call the JLC triple. tie. Tie the Jamie Lee Curtis triple tie. <laughs> it is a tie in oh order of of release. A fish called Wanda. Uh, <laughs> knives out. I knew it. New knives out. Everything, everywhere, all at once. Ah. Oh, I haven't seen that yet. Brilliant weird. movie. Ostensibly, <laughs> that one maybe you can say um, that uh, uh, Michelle Yao is possibly maybe the central character in that, but it's really about the family and everyone shares pretty much equal screen time Mm. in it. Uh, But at the center of all of these three movies, it's Jamie Lee Curtis Uh, and Fish Called Wanda. I mean, you don't get a more perfect cast than, than, than that. It's, it's a small cast, but every single one knocks it out of the park, Mm. Uh, knives out, same thing, just a yeah, great, you know, we're speaking about Hercule Poirot, Poirot yeah. Pierogi, right. um, <laughs> earlier. Uh, it, it's it's a super fun movie and everyone is swinging for the fences there and having a lot of fun. Uh, and then everything everywhere all at once is just, it's it's beautiful. And the whole cast, it all ties together. You know, everyone is, it's, uh, it's about a family and everyone in that family has an equal share in the story and how they play together and work together. Uh, They all do it so beautifully. If one of them, if one member of the cast didn't work, you wouldn't be 
at least I wouldn't, I can't speak for everyone, but to me, I, I'm so, I get so emotionally invested in that movie and it's so heartwarming and heartbreaking and beautiful. And it's because of everyone working together as a family and how it's so important for the family to stick together. So, uh, yeah, there I we go. The JLC triple play. I got to awesome. see. It. Have you seen that movie, uh, Jason? Everything. Oh everywhere? yeah. I loved it. I saw it in the theater. I, oh, I got to see it. Gosh, sure. darn it's very, it. very good. Mrs. Wang, are you with us? I am paying attention. Now you may only see a pile of receipts, but I see a story. I can see where this story is going. It does not look good. What's uh, your number eight? Oh, my number eight's a movie I've never mentioned on this podcast. It's never come up. It's a hmm. little movie you might not have heard of. It's very, it's very uh, unknown. It's called Caddyshack. <laughs> oh, of course. <laughs> um, of course. My God, what an ensemble. I, how could I leave this off my list? Uh, yeah, of course. Chevy Chase, Ronnie Dangerfield, Ted Knight, Michael O'Keefe, Bill Murray, uh, uh, and then uh, all everybody else. Scott uh, Columbia, our great friend Peter Burkrod, Brian Doyle Murray, Sarah Holcomb, uh, all of the caddies, all of the, all, you know, all of the, uh, the the people who just play golf throughout it. Uh, Dan Rezin <laughs> as Dr. Beeper, Come Henry on. Wilcoxon as the bishop, just all the, all the golfers. They're all in they're all amazing they're all perfection yeah. in their roles and they all have their moments of hilarity every single person in this that's a peach son um and and lest we forget we we never we never really talk about um this uh uh actor but john barman as spalding <laughs> uh, I was like, God. he really John holds Barman. it all together. He's the glue. Spalding yeah. is the glue. He's it sticky. comes from his nose. He's sticky. You don't, you know, you don't want to get him on your fingers. When they say, "Don't just stand there," someone gets some glue. What they're meaning is, someone get Spalding here. Spalding, take your foot off the boat and bring us all together. Bring us all together. Oh, he'll get nothing to in like it, but he got something today. <laughs> A little recognition, finally. <laughs> Amazing, amazing. Um, my number eight is uh, uh, another great comedy ensemble, Anchorman, The Legend of Ron yes. Burgundy. Uh, Will Ferrell, of course, is at the center of this, but actually I think Christina Applegate is just as funny as is True. Steve Carell in like a star-making turn. And then you've got Paul Rudd and David Koechner as uh, mm. the rest of the, uh, the the news team. And uh, <laughs> uh, they're just perfect. That's a relatively small core ensemble, but then you've also got Fred Willard and uh, Chris Parnell and um, a million cameos, you know, uh, but, but it's really, it's, uh, it's, it's the news team. It's the, it's the, yeah, it's mm -hmm. a, they're news all so assembly. good. They're all so funny. Mm -hmm. Um yeah, it's just a, it's just a, a a perfect little collection of comic performances. And again, like I say, I really think as I I, re, I watch it very very often. And you know, I remember Steve Carell being the revelation the first time I saw it. And of course, Will Ferrell. It's probably his shining moment along with Elf. I've said that before, mm -hmm. but uh, every time I watch it, Christina Applegate is 
more and more impressive to me. She's so uh, good. She's so excellent. Oh, oh my God. And uh, and it's where I discovered Catherine Hahn. Talk about like a oh, fucking yeah. a brilliant so comic actress. Uh, that was the first time I ever saw her. Yeah. And I remember thinking, God, she gets so many laughs in her in her relatively tiny part. And now she's, you know, kind of ruling the world. She's um, great in Step Brothers too, isn't she? She's brilliant so in Step Brothers yeah. four years later. And uh, so yes, and and in everything and on Parks and Rec and, and mm-hmm. uh, WandaVision and everything i mean she's oh, just yeah, a great great comic actor but uh what what is the line she says in anchorman she says he will read anything you put on that monitor it's brilliant and i actually use that line reading in uh the mousetrap i have to say i have to say the word admirable twice and the second time i sounded admirable and i do it because of her anyway anchorman fantastic my number seven another great tight Little comedy ensemble, The Birdcage. Mike Nichols, oh, The yeah. Birdcage. Yes, Robin Williams. I think it's Robin Williams' maybe maybe finest moment. It's my, wow. my, one of, if not my favorite, film performance of Robin Williams, and it's because he, for the most part, he plays. He's he's playing this middle aged gay man, and so to say this it sounds like I'm making a pun. <laughs> he plays it straight yes. for the most part. I mean, he is. He is the center of the, you know, the kind of the swirling madness, especially in his own household with Nathan Lane. Brilliant, brilliant Nathan Lane. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of his calling card. I mean, even though he had been a Broadway star for years, but this was his first big film role. And Hank Azaria was a revelation so playing the Guatemalan uh, Agador Spartacus, <laughs> the, the manservant uh, in their household. He is beyond brilliant. He's like, so this good. is like the Steve Carell performance in Anchorman to me, yeah, the one yes, that like yeah. pops where you're like, totally. whoa, where's this guy? coming from to like kind of like steal the movie away from the greatest comic talents of our time (laughs) and uh and and uh brilliant gene hackman and diane weiss as the uh the 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 far right republican christian conservative couple uh that uh williams is uh and nathan lane's son wants to the family that their son wants to marry into and of course it's it's just just based on la caja faux just a fantastic film and and the and the kids uh, dan futterman in a very thankless role playing a pretty unlikable guy but he does his best playing the son who wants his parents to change everything about themselves to uh <laughs> to be more palatable to uh his his fiance's uh, folks uh Callista Flockhart as major roles but it's really it's Robin Williams and Nathan Lane are perfection together they're beautiful together uh uh, Diane Weist and Gene Hackman perfect together and then yeah uh, it's Hank Azaria bouncing around the house slipping out of his shoes as Agador Spartacus is uh, is incredible Dad you've got to get in there everything is going to hell you didn't make an entree what what, 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 what do you what do you, you mean we just have soup your better soup is an entree it's like a stew what do you think I put so much eating for shut up Here's a note for Catherine. Go put it on the downstairs door. I've got to get back there before they eat enough to see the bottom of the bowl. Very major things to do to you. You're giving no time to job. Shut up! It's okay. We're all right. It's fine. Just shut up, goddamn you. It's all right. Stop crying. Goddamn you. What are you standing there for? Go! Go! She'll be here in a minute. Go! Damn it. Fuck the shrimp. Speaking of feel-good movies, this is the movie 
that we all put at number one on our holiday list. My number seven is <laughs> It's a Wonderful Life. Oh, yeah. This is a terrific, terrific ensemble. Jimmy Stewart and Donna Reed are at the center of it. So there are fully leads. Obviously, George Bailey is the lead. But Lionel Barrymore, Thomas Mitchell is Uncle Billy, Henry Travers is Clarence, Beulah Bondi as the mother, Mrs. Bailey, Ernie and Bert, Frank Phelan and, and Ward Bond, Violet, um, the blonde who always had a, a thing for George, uh, <laughs> played by Gloria Graham. Uh, Frank Albertson is Sam Wainwright. H.B. Warner is Mr. Gower. Todd Carnes is Harry Bailey, the brother, and on and on and on. Uh, you know, everybody in this thing throughout the, the principal is great. Um, you know, the, the, all of the, all of the, uh, his customers who come into the bank, um, are, are terrific. Uh, you know, uh, the guy who plays uh, his dad, Samuel Hines, uh, who plays Pa Bailey, uh, who passes away in the movie, uh, is, are, you know, they, they, they made a, um, you know, a, a movie that at the time Frank Capra made this movie and it kind of got meh, you know, kind of got mixed, mixed reviews. And of course, it's become one of the great classics of all of all time. Uh, you know, it is a terrific feel good movie. It's a holiday classic. It's the number one holiday classic. But, it, you know, we forget how good the ensemble acting yeah. is throughout this thing. It all just works. It's it's a really magical chemistry that they all have with each other, because, I mean, talk about being on board. It seems like they were all on board with what this movie was doing, um, uh, you know, through and through and through. So uh, it's a wonderful life. Number seven. So this is my number seven? Is your number so. seven? Then you go seven and then six. And then you go seven. Okay, my number seven, again, a little cheating. Uh, it's a tie because it's the seventh letter in the alphabet. Ridiculous. It's G, comedies with Gs. Oh my one God. Of the, <laughs> one of them you already mentioned, Dan, <laughs> Galaxy Quest. Galaxy Quest. Mm -hmm. Perfect cast. Uh, I won't talk much about that. And the other is waiting for guff. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> I mean, you could go with so many. I was between that and Spinal Tap. Those are my two of those favorite. But it, it's you know we've talked about this one on the podcast. You can go back to that episode and listen. It's just perfect. You know, Christopher Guest, Parker Posey, Catherine O'Hara, Fred Willard, Eugene Levy, Bob Balaban, Larry Miller. It's a, it, it's similar to, it's a wonderful life. It creates a town. It creates Blaine. It creates all yeah. the people there and you care about right. all of them and they're all just as important. They all need to be just as important for it to work. So it doesn't, it's not just focusing on one character. It's focusing on this town, this entity, this repertory company. So that's it. Galaxy Quest and Guffman. Fantastic. Seventh. And what's uh, your number uh, next six? Sheet? Ocean's Eleven. Steven oh, Soderbergh's wow. Ocean Eleven. Yeah. Ocean's Eleven. It's uh, it's just so much fun. Clooney, Damon, Julia Roberts, Don Cheadle, that we love, Brad Pitt, Andy Garcia, Casey Affleck, Elliot Gould, Carl Reiner, Chin Chow Bao, Scott Kahn, Eddie Jemison, Bernie Mac. They each get <laughs> places to shine. They work so wonderfully together. It feels, it's fun. It's slick. It's, and they, you watch it. They're just all having fun together. And like mm. I said, they each have their moments. They're each there for a reason. It's so fun to see, you know, the young hotshots with, you know, people like Elliot Gould and Carl Reiner. And it's just, 
You know, yeah. and, and Ocean's 12, it's a slightly larger cast and you get Pacino in there and Ocean's 13 is fun, but Ocean's 11, the first one is the one I always go back to. It's yeah, To me, it's yeah. the most fun. It's the most perfect. And it's just, you know, we I didn't grow up with the Rat Pack. I didn't grow up with that. So this is my version of that. And they, they nail it. And they all just... I'm like, yes, I, I want to live with these, with this group of, of, mm-hmm. of men and women for as long as I can in this casino. Cause it's just, it's fun and it's cool. Mm. Ocean's yeah. 11. 150 million without breaking a sweat. Now there are 11 of us, each with an equal share. You do the math. Exactly. I have a question. Mm-hmm. Say we get into the cage and, and through the security doors there, and past the guards with the guns and into the vault we can't open? Without being seen by the cameras. Oh, yeah, sorry, I forgot to mention that. Yeah, well, say we do all that. Uh, We're just supposed to walk out of there with $150 million in cash on us without getting stopped? Yeah. Am I at number six? Okay. Yes. Movie we talked about last time. Go back to the previous episode. It's Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. You know yeah. who the hell's in it? Pacino, Lemon, Baldwin, <laughs> Basie, Price, Harris, Arkin. Very, very good cast. What more do you want? Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Fantastic. My number six, uh, my number six and number five. Actually, of my top six. Only one is a movie we haven't talked about at length on this podcast, Ooh. so I won't have a lot to say for the rest of the episode. Uh, but my number six is uh, is Moonstruck. It's one of my yeah, favorites. It's, it's a, a great br- ensemble. ensemble. You're so yeah. right. Beginning and ending with Cher. She's just perfect. She is at the center, but it's really uh, her and Nicolas Cage and her her beautiful, vibrant, extended Italian family, Vincent Gardinia, Olympia Dukakis, uh, Danny Aiello as Nicolas Cage. Cage's brother uh, and and Cher's fiance. Uh, oh my God! I, I actually, you guys have been so good about getting every name in. I'm not. I, 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 I her aunt and uncle are amazing. Her mm-hmm. grandfather's amazing. Yeah, I I I, I didn't get. All, I didn't jot down all the names. But it's, it's a beautiful cast. We talked about it yeah. uh, in uh, one of our earlier episodes. Um, and also John Mahoney in a fantastic role. Yeah. Um, oh, that's right. The only, I forget. the only member. The only the only character really who's not uh, of note who's not connected to the the uh, core family right, uh, right, right. unit but uh, yeah moonstruck john patrick shanley beautiful romance beautiful comedy just fantastic spices flavors tart and sweet it's just fantastic um they're a wonderful ensemble my number five is uh your number six dan glengarry glenn ross yes fantastic perfect ensemble go back to the last episode and listen to our many many thoughts about the stellar acting in glengarry glenn ross Danny, what's your, that means what's your number five? Oh, my number five. Go, go all the way back to this episode and talk about, and t- listen to us talk about <laughs> Boogie Nights because that's my number five. It's a pretty good <laughs> cast. They're fairly fair to middling. They're all right. The movie's okay. Oh, you just heard us talk about it. This is a giant cock. I can't speak. My number five is uh, Richard Linklater's Dazed and Confused. Oh, of course. Of course. Uh, 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 again, it's, there's, it's just about a group 
of kids. Uh, Matthew McConaughey's star turn, I mean, jumps out. This was his first movie, uh, steals it. But it's Matthew McConaughey, Jason London, Ben Affleck, one of his first movies, uh, Wiley Wiggins, uh, Parker Posey is amazing, Rory Cochran, Adam Goldberg, Anthony Rapp, Nikki Cat, Cole Hauser. It's a fantastic young cast, and it's just all, literally just about one night. It's the last day of school in Texas, and just sort of following all these different groups, you know, through the night. They all end up at a keg party, party at the Moon Tower. <laughs> uh, maybe if you want to say there's like a, maybe a lead perspective, it's Wiley Wiggins' character, but not really because it's it's really a true just sort of slice of life ensemble of this group of kids and they're also clear cut and you watch it and you know every single one. You're like, yep, I know who Parker Posey's character is. I know that guy. I know her. And it's just a lot of fun. And uh, it's one of, my, one of my favorite movies and uh, they all do an amazing Amazing job. So dazed and confused. Yeah. All right, you little freshman bitches. All right. That was pathetic. Let's try it again. That means get up, you lazy little bitches. Get up. That was horrible, you little slut girls, you little freshman sluts. Now, see, what's fascinating is the way not only the school, but the entire community seems to be supporting this, you know, or at least turn their heads. I mean, they apparently have permission to use the parking lot. Right. No parents seem to mind. You know, they're selling concessions, you know. I mean, <laughs> I know. What's your number four, friend? My number four is, wait a minute, let me just make sure I have, so that's four. <laughs> it's a six-way tie two. between. Okay, no, my number four cheater. is a sprawling, sprawling epic of a movie. You hinted at it earlier, Jason. It's, it's Run. Avengers Infinity War. Oh, Which, wow. as you all know, that was my, oh. my number one superhero movie. Yes. Uh, take a deep breath. Chris Evans, Robert Downey Jr., oh, Mark Ruffalo, Scarlett Johansson, Chris Hemsworth, Chris Pratt, Zoe Saldana, Elizabeth Olsen, Tom Holland, Paul Bettany, Benedict Cumberbatch, Sebastian Stan, Anthony Mackie, Tom Hiddleston, Don Cheadle, Chadwick Boseman, Karen Gillan, Bradley Cooper, Denai Gurai, Benedict Wong, and of course, the amazing, amazing Josh Brolin sort of tying it all together. Yeah. Uh, similar to what you said about Avengers, but I think even more so in this, it's a, it's even more, it's more of these beloved characters that we've seen in all the other movies. And in my head, it shouldn't, it shouldn't work even more so <laughs> grammatically, that doesn't make sense. Oh, yeah. But uh, you never, uh, for for my money, it's you know, it, there's so many storylines, and you go with it the whole time. You never lose track. It's always fun, you know, having the the Guardians of the Galaxy uh, meeting uh, Tony Stark and Doctor Strange and and Peter Parker. That scene is just wonderful the dialogue is incredible and yeah. it's like you know what what we what i said in the superhero episode those are always my favorites you know, issues, the, the comic book issues where you have the team-ups and this is just such a grand team-up. And yes, Endgame, you could say there's even more characters, That's but they don't really do as much. Here, I feel like, you know, but at the end, the last third of the movie, they're all there and they're all working together. Yeah, but, but here it's not you really just, acting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's a special effect. Like yeah, you, it's just, it's so many storylines and so many different story, you know, all over the place, but it all works and you never get bored. And God, it's just, 
it's so much fun and they all work together so well. And every time you get a new team up, you know, when, you know, when, uh, when Mark Ruffalo crashes in the, the Sanctorum and there, there's that whole scene with them yeah, meeting, and, you know, fun. Thor first meeting the guards, it's just fun and it works. And God, Brolin is so fucking good as Thanos. He just doesn't get enough credit, I think. And his scenes with Zoe Saldana no. are amazing. Uh, yeah, I just love it. It's a great. It, it originally, originally it was it was uh, like my number ten. And as I'm looking at the list, I'm like, no, I love this group of <laughs> these group of characters so much together. I got to bring it down further on my list. Yeah, Avengers: Infinity War. Number Danny, four. number four. My number four is uh, Steve McQueen's Twelve Years a Slave. What oh, an ensemble yeah. cast. Yes, yes, there is a central character, uh, Solomon Northup, played by Chiwetel Ejiofor. But, oh, my God, what a cast across the board. Um, you have uh, you have um, uh, uh, Ashley Dyke and Kelsey Scott and Kuvanzani Wallace and uh, Bill Camp and the the you know great performance by Brad Pitt you have a, a a terrible awful villains in this played by Paul Giamatti and uh oh Michael Fassbender and Sarah Paulson oh, wow. my god they're loathsome uh Benedict Cumberbatch I mean just through and through and through and then of course Lupita Nyong'o who won the Oscar for it you have you have amazing ensemble around the main character yes you're following mm-hmm. Uh, Solomon throughout the whole throughout the whole tale, um, and it is uh, and you're you're completely emotionally invested in his story, but without those great performances all around him, and it's tough to play, you know, that character obviously, but also the villains this this loathsome, and it doesn't work without that. It doesn't work without the commitment of 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 you know Giamatti and 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 uh, and and you know those characters, and you have to have that. So it's it's um, it's a harrowing movie to watch it's one of those movies like schindler's list where it's like i've seen it once maybe i'll watch it again at some mm. point it's <laughs> hard, it's a hard one uh but uh it doesn't work without the without the ensemble uh my number four and number three have both been mentioned and they're both movies that we've talked about on the podcast before number four love actually yeah i adore that movie it's right up there i think behind it's a wonderful life on my favorite holiday films but it is truly it's it's an ensemble that you know that then spawned as we said a a, a, a rash which is a great word for it of, uh, of, of uh, on you know like just every star you've ever heard of on a holiday you know so but this one's really spectacular and and yeah and there's so many standout performances but yeah Hugh Grant certainly Emma Thompson certainly uh Colin Firth I'm fine I love his storyline is always very very right. charming to me and they're all yeah they're all delightful uh, Liam Neeson heartbreaking and wonderful it's just it's fantastic we've talked about it before we will talk about it again I'm sure love actually uh my number three Waiting for Guffman. It was on, you know, this this cast was uh, made up one of my slots on my all time great comedic performances list. I think they were my number 10 uh, was the cast of Waiting for Guffman. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a perfect ensemble uh, anchored by Christopher Guest. But, you know, and there's not a, a sour note uh, in in the bunch. And they're all so good, especially Catherine O'Hara. Just uh, they're all so good. I can't, and, and Fred Willard, that couple that they they're just uh, they're they're really incredible. But yeah, uh, Christopher Guest uh, anchors it as Corky St. Clair. But everyone's so funny and everyone's so great together. Um, 
So yeah, waiting for Guffman. Then go back and listen to the episode. Uh, whatever episode. That's how Dan does it, right? Episode. Episode. Put it in and post paywall. Oh, put it in post. That sounds. I was trying to find. I was looking through. Oh, that you know what? That's episode. Waiting for Guffman is episode thirty-six. Wow. Yes. And Moonstruck One is episode thirty-three. Oh yeah. Caddyshack. That's episode ten. Of course. When was Love Actually? It was last. Love Actually. No, episode it was 25. Episode yeah, Christmas. Year. Oh, 25. That's a yeah. good one. Yeah. Yeah. It was early on. Uh, Danny, what's your number three? Oh, I have a tie for number three. My first oh. tie. Do I usually have ties on these lists? Never. I don't know if I do. I never do. But here's nope. a tie. Uh, 1957's 12 Angry Men. Oh, yay! Sydney Lumet. So good. Literally uh, just watched uh, it last night again. Oh, my God. Everybody yeah. in this thing's a freaking legend. Martin Balson. Uh, E.G. Marshall, Jack Klugman, Jack Klugman, a young Jack Klugman as the young juror, juror number five, Edward Bins, uh, my, my doppelganger, as my wife always says, Jack Warden. He's my I, favorite. I, He's the yeah, best. Really great. As the sports guy, Jack Warden. And so Ed good. Begley Sr., George uh-huh. Voskovec, um, Joseph Sweeney uh, as the old man, and and then the two main uh, performances, um, juror three and uh, juror eight, Lee J. Cobb and Henry Fonda. Um, it's, you know, it's an incredible story. It's from the play by Reginald Rose. Uh, and, um, if you've never seen it, please watch, uh, 12 Angry Men. It is, um, uh. Sidney Lumet's first film, I believe, right? Yeah. I think you're right about that. And, uh, you know, the way he's, I mean, we can go on and on about how great a filmmaker he is, but without the acting at the center of, of this thing, it doesn't work. And he gives, what's great about Lumet is he gives everybody their moments. He gives every single one of those people Mm -hmm. their moments. Maybe there are ten knives like that, so what? Maybe there are. Well, what does it mean? You found another knife like it. What's that, the discovery of the age or something? You mean you're asking us to believe that somebody else did the stabbing with exactly the same kind of knife? The odds are a million to one. It's possible, but not very probable. It is in a tie with, this is cheating, because it was never released in theaters. It was on, it was released on television. 1997's 12 Angry Men. Directed oh, by ah. William Friedkin. Um, what a cast. Courtney B. Vance, Ossie Davis, Armin Mueller-Stahl, James Gandolfini, Tony Danza in the, yeah. uh, in the Jack Warden part. part. Hugh yeah. Cronin, Michael T. Williamson, Edward James Olmos, William Peterson, and in the Lee J. Cobb part, George C. Scott. No surprise there. Often yeah. played roles that G- Lee J. Cobb played. Uh, uh-huh. And, um, in the Henry Fonda part, the great, 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 amazing Jack Lemon. Um, this is a, a every a, every bit as strongly acted a version as the sure. 1957 version. Uh, I am cheating because it was not released in theaters. It was made for Showtime, I believe. Um, but man, the acting is good in this. And George C. Scott is every bit as heartbreaking as uh, mm. and terrifying as Lee J. Cobb. And Jack Lemon is always, always, always hits it out of the park. My number three, and then I would be, I'd be going to two as well, yep, right? Three and okay, two. Okay, so I'll do, they're both Paul Thomas Anderson. Hey. Um, uh, my number three is his movie Magnolia, which was the yeah. follow-up to Boogie Nights. Uh, I know it's this a is a very one. divisive movie for some. I love it. It's, again, a true ensemble cast. There is no lead at all. There, you know, all the characters are connected, you know, whether, how, you know, strong that connection is or not, but they all are you know, connected, uh, in, in certain ways and they sort of overlap, um, and just amazing performances. It's Tom Cruise's 
best performance by far. Mm-hmm. Uh, Philip Baker Hall is amazing. Philip Seymour Hoffman is, is he's gorgeous in it. He's so lovely in it. Uh, Ricky Jay, William H. Macy, heartbreaking. Uh, from Elena, Julianne Moore, uh, Michael Murphy, John C. Riley, Jason Robards, uh, and Melora Walters. Actually, John C. Riley and Melora Walters. So great. Those two together. So good. My favorites in that. Yeah, they're so good. We saw and that I together, love it Dan. too. We saw it. How yeah. you know, Sony Lincoln Square. Yeah. That's Speaking right. of Michael Penn earlier, uh, his wife, Amy Mann, who I also love, the whole yeah. movie was just based yeah. off an Amy Mann lyric, you know, yeah. and that Paul Thomas Anderson was like, I just dig your music. I want to write a movie based on your lyrics. Um, and I think mm-hmm. that, I think the line was, and it's Melora Walter says that now that I've met you, can we agree to never see each other again? Or it's something like that. I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm paraphrasing it. Um, but they're just all beautiful performances. And I'm, you know, I'm probably in the minority where I feel like it, it's, it doesn't drag for me. It's a, that's a movie that just keeps moving the soundtrack and the camera work. It's just moving. And it's, but it's also, it's just, I'm so invested in the performances. They all mm-hmm. do just such amazing, amazing work. And just how he weaves through the, the fabric of the different stories. And it's great. And then my number two is uh, Boogie Nights, which we just spoke about. So, yeah. you know how I feel about Never that. Never saw it. Never saw yeah. it. Never heard of it. <laughs> Magnolia. Idget. One of the fascinating things about Magnolia is the psychology of Tom Cruise's character, you know, yeah. how, why he's the way he is. That's fascinating. It's yeah, absolutely it's it's like an onion. Relation. You keep peeling that onion. It just gets more and more disturbing. Yeah. It's amazing. The scene where he's being interviewed and just very similar to Mark Wahlberg, you know, right. that, that shot right. of just seeing things yeah. crumble away and things appear. And I mean, towards the yeah. end of that interview, when he's done with the seminar and just seeing it all, you know, once she, when she starts to, you know, talk about your father and right. you know, your family, you can just see like, he just mm. shuts himself off and there's so much going on in his face. And oh my God. Well, Frank, I'm saying that in trying to figure out who you are, um, you have more important to be... things to well, put no, it's all important, into. Frank. I think this is something very important that you might need to think about putting yourself into. Mm. Um, not really. Frank, it, it's not like I'm trying to attack you here. No, I just, okay. Hey, hey, this is how you want to spend your time. Then go, go, go. But you're going to be surprised at what a waste it is. The most useless thing in the world is that which is behind me. Chapter three. Yeah, it's, they all do just wonderful work in it. The entire ensemble. <laughs> yeah, good, good job, Fred. Yeah, thank you. Getting thank that you. word in again. Yep, <laughs> yep. As do the ensemble of Boogie Nights. Another, yes. that's my oh. number two. <laughs> yes, we know. Ensemble. We got it. Okay. All right. <laughs> Jason's so cool for me. Jason's Dan, Dan. done. Jason's like, oh, no. fucking three-way tie. And no, the no, no, numbers no, no. The- no, I'm not. I'm never done with you. I can't <laughs> quit you, which takes me to my number two, Broke Back Mountain. No, I, I, that's not on the list. Um, this is a movie very few people have seen. I know you guys <laughs> haven't seen it. I know we've never talked about it. Um, it's very obscure. Goodfellas, you know anything about it? I never heard of it. I'm unfamiliar with it myself. Uh, but it made it all the way to number two. Somehow it got to number two. Um, I'm not even going to list the cast. You know who's in this guy. Yeah. If you don't, what's wrong with you? What's the matter with you? What, what are you doing with your life? You're wasting every moment of your life. Uh, yeah, when you're done watching The Wire, watch this movie and look at the cast yeah, watch list Goodfellas at the end. before The Wire. Yeah, watch Goodfellas That's episode first. 60. By the way, yeah. 60. go back to episode 60. Ooh. You'll hear us talk to everybody, talk about everybody in it. Um, uh, you know, let's just highlight. Uh, oh, I don't know. Um, uh, uh, how about uh, 
uh, Hofstra's Beau Star, who plays Henry's father. Terrific. <laughs> okay. I mean, I could, I could pick anybody. Chuck Lowe, who plays Maury. Terrific. I mean, just pick, pick anybody. They're all, they're all outstanding. Yeah. Are you kidding me? It's a great ensemble. Watch the goddamn movie. I'm not I was originally going to do a four-way G thing with oh, Guffman, yeah. Galaxy well, Quest, Godfather, and Goodfellas, but oh. I was like, no, Jason's eyes will just fucking roll no, out of his head if I, I do, do that. ties. I do ties. Come on. Come oh. on, Danny. Come on. Um, no, that's fantastic. And of course, I figured that would be high on your list. Uh, my number, and so now it's my number two and then my number one. Yeah. Oh, my God. All right. So my number two is uh, 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 much like my number one about dysfunctional families. Uh, it's the Royal Tenenbaums. Oh, yes. yes. It's the Royal Tenenbaums. I knew it's on your list. I How did love I not that know? movie. It's one of my favorite films. It's my... It's neck and neck with Rushmore is my favorite Wes Anderson, but it's such a, a, a kaleidoscope of personalities and quirks and brilliant characterizations, excellent acting at the heart of it. Gene Hackman is Royal Tenenbaum, but uh, also Angelica Houston, uh, Ben Stiller, Owen Wilson, Gwyneth Paltrow, Luke Wilson, uh, Danny Glover. It's Bill Murray. It's an yeah. incredible 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 cast uh about this uh this family with a uh, family of geniuses with uh unlimited potential and uh and kind of their their uh, the story of their they're in the midst of their downfall and then uh when their ne'er-do-well father comes back into uh their lives it's uh kind of it's both traumatizing and uh redemptive and it's a beautiful movie i think and uh, uh even alec baldwin's part of the company as uh, mm-hmm. uh as uh, the narrator of the film oh my it's god just, i forgot yeah. yeah just pitch perfect beautiful acting across the board uh, and and one of if not my favorite gene hackman performance so the royal tenenbaums i i hope we get to it in a future episode to talk about it in more Ooh, detail i wanted but to like that i need to do a rewatch of it it's so good it's so good so so good. Where have you been? Oh, we just stepped out to get some air. What's that? Holy shit. That's not... What is that? Oh, no, no, that's uh, dog's blood. Come here. What? You stay away from my children. Do you understand? My God, I haven't been in here for years. Hey! Are you listening to me? Yes, I am. I think you're having a nervous breakdown. Um, and uh, before I get to my number one, which will not be a surprising number one, I will. Uh, uh, I'll say my honorable mentions. I uh, th- there's so many more than this, but uh, I'll start with the the one that's already been named. Knives Out fantastic cast uh bridesmaids yes that's uh, on my honorable the, the company of uh, bridesmaids wet hot american summer talk about a sprawling yeah. comic yeah. cast that is a fantastic company of uh comedians uh and actors and uh and i really love tropic thunder yeah <laughs> tropic yeah, thunder is a fantastic uh ensemble and uh and one of the best performances in it is but probably tom cruise's second best performance <laughs> uh, he's yeah. fantastic and uh, uh unrecognizable as is robert downey jr under makeup and prosthetics in that film but uh <laughs> yeah those are all great and uh, my uh, last honorable mention is kind of like the the, the king of the ensemble when you think 
ensemble movie or ensemble comedy. It's a mad, 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 mad world. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. I mean, not a great, great film, but like everybody you've ever heard of in a movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, there have been movies more recently like Rat Race about 20 years ago that yeah. try to approximate that feeling of like everybody's on a scavenger hunt, search for, <laughs> you know, buried treasure. Yeah. And Cannibal you've got Man. everybody yeah. from Spencer Tracy to like, uh, Buddy Hackett <laughs> to Sid Caesar <laughs> to <laughs> Ethel Merman. Oh, I mean, Jerry Mickey Lewis Rooney. show up at one point? I, 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 I honestly can't remember. <laughs> it, it used to be like my New Year's Eve movie with my family. It was like, <laughs> it used to be on TV on New Year's Eve yes. a lot. And then I remember about... 15 years ago, like specifically like renting it and being like, we're going to like have, we're going to have dinner and we're going to watch it's a mad, 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 mad world before the ball drops. But anyway, so those are my honorable mentions. And my number one, it will come as no surprise to anyone is Boogie Nights. The cast of Boogie Nights is impeccable and unimpeachable. (laughs) It is a fantastic film and a fantastic company of actors. Go back to episode this. (laughs) Um, Danny what's your number one I was going to say we should talk about it on a future episode yeah maybe Um, someday uh, yeah as I was making my list you you know we texted the other day about like why are you guys making your list and you guys were like we've been agonizing about this forever (laughs) and you're just thinking about it now but once I really sat down and started to think about it this became very very difficult and my honorable mentions any of them really could have made my top 10 it's 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 fairly uh um, you know, it, it's hmm. pretty, pretty elastic, this list, but, um, the, the, I'll highlight just a couple cause my honorable list, honorable mentions list is very long. The Altman films, shortcuts and the player, yeah. uh, Gosford park is another one. I mean, these are, these are incredible, uh, incredible ensembles, um, and shortcuts and the player were, I need to do a rewatch of them, but through a you lot can't watch of shortcuts, I tried really? to rewatch it. You can't stream it. I had to watch. Uh, I watched really? a lot of it on YouTube and even there, there's not much. I was really oh, disappointed because I was really looking forward to rewatching it. You can't stream it anywhere. That's yeah. sad because mm-hmm. I had it on VHS forever. And it's a two VHS VHS because it's so long and yeah. I've got rid That's of Huey all my Lewis VHSs. In it. Your favorite. Huey, how can you go wrong with Huey yeah. Lewis? The news, not in it. <laughs> well, some calls his penis the news because you do see his penis oh, in that movie. You do see it, and that's yeah. that's always the the headline news, um, or at least the head of it. The uh, I have Steel Magnolias on this list. Casablanca, Little mm. Women, the the oh. Winona Ryder one, um, mm. Sensibility, Go. Remember the movie Go? What a yes. great ensemble in yes. that movie. Uh, of course, Bridesmaids, Heat, Reservoir Dogs, Spinal Tap. Outsiders, the help, JFK, uh, go on and on. But the the uh, Prince's Bride, uh, my God, oh God, great yes. ensemble. Mm, Since you yes. just said it, Moonstruck, because I had forgotten that. Big yeah. Night, Big Night, Isn't Big it, Night, yeah. that was on my, my list too. Yeah, yes, so so good. So Tootsie, I mean, just on and on. Yeah. But the the mm. two that really almost made my my top ten were Shortcuts and The Player, um, mm. and they they were they're two of my favorite movies and all. And as you guys know, were during college, I was like, we got to watch these movies again and yeah. again. Um, but my number one. Um, and it's one of my favorite movies of all time. Oh. Uh, go ahead. Are you going to guess? I'm, well, guess. I'm going to cross my fingers. I think I, cause I, well, you tell, well, obviously you say it, but I'm hoping it's what I think it is. Okay. It's do the right thing. Oh is no, that, it's not it, but I'm so glad wow. that's not cause I was almost on my list too. Oh, ah, okay. What were you thinking <laughs> yeah. it was going to be? What do you think it was going to be? Alien. 
Oh, oh, yeah. oh my God. Great well, ensemble. Now I have to, yeah. now I have really to take good. something off my list because you're absolutely <laughs> right. I totally <laughs> forgot about Alien. So uh, maybe Galaxy Quest moves to 11 and Alien becomes number 10. No, why? Just be free. Just tie it. It'd be like <laughs> exactly. outer tie space it. people. Outer space. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> so number, my, number, my new number 10 is a tie between Galaxy Quest and Alien. Perfect. Uh, no, Alien. do the right thing. Perfect. An ama- amazing do the right movie. thing. Do the right Fantastic. thing, though. My God, Aussie Davis, Ruby D, Spike Lee himself, Danny Aiello, brilliant. Richard Edson, Giancarlo Esposito, Bill Nunn as Radio Rahim, John Turturro, uh, Frankie Faison, uh, the the guys who sit outside Frankie Faison and and uh, 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 and uh, um, the great. Uh, oh, he was in. Uh, um, why am I blind? Robin Harris, sweet Dick. Robin Harris, yeah. Mm. Uh, uh, we got to do that movie. We got to do that. Yeah, one. we really do. Samuel L. Jackson to. as Mr. Senior Love Daddy, the great Rosie Perez. Martin Lawrence is in it. Frank mm-hmm. Vincent, uh, you know, on and on and on and on. Um, so good. But you don't get better than Aussie Davis and Ruby D. Legends, legends yeah. of stage and screen. They, they, they bring it all together, you know. Um, uh, as the, uh, the watchers, you know, the lookers yeah. on, um, mm-hmm. in the, in the, in the town, the mayor and, uh, mother sister, um, uh, mm. my God, that that's, that's brilliant casting, brilliant casting. Hey, you old drunk. What did I tell you about drinking in front of my stoop? Move on. You're blocking my view. You are ugly enough. Don't stare at me. The evil eye doesn't work on me. Mother, sister, you've been talking about me for 18 years. What have I ever done to you? You are a drunk fool. Besides that, the mayor don't bother nobody. And nobody don't bother the mayor, but you. The mayor just tend to his own business. I love everybody. I even love you. Hold your tongue. You don't have that much love. One day, you're going to be nice to me. We may both be dead and buried, but you're going to be nice, at least civil. All, all, all still things we're talking about today, still dealing with today, still wrestling with today, all of the same themes um, about race and systemic racism and the police and all of that. Um, But you look back at the movie and really, to me, it's the acting uh, top to bottom that stands out. I'm so happy that's your number one. That was on, that was, that was a struggle. I was wondering if that was going to get on my list. So I'll do my honorable mentions, which was, there's a lot of them. I'll just run through them. There's do the right thing. I had the right stuff. Lion in the winter, Tropic Thunder, Goodfellas, Sling Blade, uh, Reservoir Dogs, Lord of the Rings, Caddyshack, JFK, yeah. 12 Angry yeah. Men, Alien, Argo. Argo was almost on oh, there. That's a good one. Great yeah. ensemble movie. Uh, Little Miss Sunshine, The Big yes. Lebowski, yes. Uh, <laughs> Taps. The Tim- Timothy Hutton's wow, early yeah. film Taps is a great Whoa. film. Bridesmaids, Heat, Crimson Tide. Uh, I said it was no, <laughs> it. no Crimson Tide. The Denzel Washington wow. Gene Hackman movie. Yeah, yeah I, but I but I only think of the two of them. No, it's a great <laughs> ensemble. It's a great no, ensemble. Sure. Viggo Mortensen, James Gandolfini. It's great. Wow. Richard Schroeder. Uh, and then uh, my my one of my top honorable mentions before I get to my number one, Revenge of the Nerds, gentlemen. <laughs> Revenge oh of the goddamn God, you're nerds. You're so right. You're Look, so you got Takashi banging out. on his gong. The gang from the Moo would be clapping along. My namesake, uh, Poindexter. Timothy Buzzfield. Poindexter on the violin. Mm. Lewis and Gilbert <laughs> will be joining in. You got Booger Presley on the main guitar and a rap by a little old me Lamar. me Lamar. Just when you thought you've seen it all, along comes a lambda four foot tall. Uh, 
Revenge of the Nerds. But my number one. Wait, wait, wait. Before you go on, just a wait. little bit, please. You got to put one, one foot in front, front of, of the other. Oh. <laughs> foot down. Down, down. I mean, come on. It's the anthem of getting things done. (laughs) Uh, It really is. Uh, I kid you not, I was singing that song at the theater last night. Oh, my God. Not even joking. Not even joking. I was singing at the theater. Uh, And my number one, uh, we spoke about last episode, Glengarry Glen Ross. Oh, How did I not even guess that that was it? I forgot you didn't mention it yet. Yeah, that's my number one. It's just that ensemble of actors always brings me joy. I could watch it anytime. I love it. it. Uh, Go back to the last episode, hear what we all thought of it. Glengarry Glenn Ross. Perfection. Perfection. Oh, so much good acting out there in the world. Will we ever make an ensemble <laughs> list? Only time. Only time will tell. And time is running out. <gasps> oh, God. Jesus Christ. Wow. I guess I'll waste my life hosting another episode of Opening Weekend in a couple weeks' time. Uh, thanks so much for joining us now on our march to death, but we'll be back soon. <laughs> With another pointless look back at the 80s. Why don't we just waste our last breaths checking out November 17th, 1989 and that week's releases. Boy, it's not going to make the end of life any sweeter to talk about (sighs) Eddie Murphy and Richard Pryor in Harlem Nights. (laughs) But... You gotta you do got that to in order to talk about in front of the other the But then we're going to talk about Disney's The Little Mermaid, the beginning of the uh, Disney animation renaissance. I and be where the people are. And one of I've I guess, heard the stories. One of, one of Dan's honorable ensemble mentions is was released on this date as well. Steel Magnolias. Fabulous. Sally Field, Olympia Dukakis, Julia Roberts, uh, Dolly Parton, uh, Shirley MacLaine, some other people uh that is uh that's november 17th 1989 and that's yeah. next time on opening weekend yay danny oh danny what you got for us i think i have to attempt sister christian don't oh, oh yes you I do i think i yes. have to attempt this song i don't know how this is going to go this is a complex song fred you might have to help me out this is a long one too but this is i'll, I'll do, won't do the whole thing but we'll, yeah. we'll my palms are nice and sweaty i don't know why but they've been sweaty for a while, so that should help. All right. It, it came, as Jeff Henry would say, all over my tits. Wow. <laughs> the opening weekend podcast is produced by Jason O'Connell, Fred Berman, and Dan Matisa. 
with editing by Jason O'Connell and sound mixing by Fred Berman. Additional help and technical support provided by Ethan Duff. Thank you for listening. This is a giant cock. I can't speak.